And we are back with another Black Window Cream podcast, new episode every single Wednesday and Sunday. I am your host, Ben Haggerty, a.k.a. Ben Real Verse World. I want to make an apology for this episode real quick. During the recording of this interview, my audio recorder shut off about like 35 minutes into the episode, which corrupted the audio. It totally sucked. I hit up the company to see if there's any way to save the media. They assured me that there was no way to save the media. I did some of my own digging on YouTube and found a workaround, which got some of the audio back, but the quality is definitely trash, so I'm sorry for the crunchy audio sound. It does get much better after 35 minutes, so don't worry. It's, it's better, but fuck Zoom because they didn't help me at all. I had to do it myself. What the hell is that? But I still love your gear. So if you guys want to sponsor me, do it. Okay, so this is a very cool interview for me to share with all of you today as I'm interviewing the very talented Morley, who has been a family friend since I was pretty much born. But Morley is an incredible street artist, also from my home state of Iowa. He specializes in wheat paste posters that have been shared all over the world, and they're very well received. He's released two books that are dope as fuck. I got both of them. Support your local artists. He has been in galleries all over the world. He previously was a filmmaker, so his knowledge in film is nuts. Um, He's still editing today, and he's collaborated with major brands without selling himself out. He was also picked up and managed by that same dude that manages Banksy, so it's like, what the fuck? Morley has such a cool perspective on life and goes deep on every topic that we touched on. So definitely make sure and listen to this interview and soak up the game. This this shit is great. I'm so happy we did this. So by the time that you are hearing this episode, we will have just completed our first Black Window Cream contest ever, like our first contest. We teamed up with Epidemic Sounds to challenge all the video creators in Black Window Cream to make a one take video in just 48 hours. We were able to pull together some insane prizes for this one too, which is dope to me. We were able to get over $5,000 in prizes thanks to Epidemic, um, giving away things like a Sony a6300, shoots 4K video, portable hard drives, SD cards, merch, like Epidemic Sound subscriptions. So much gear was given away for this contest. I'm very excited to see how this contest goes and hope we can do more in the future. If you guys have any ideas for a contest that you think we should do as Black With No Cream, as a community, shoot us an email, blackwithnocream at gmail.com. I want to hear your thoughts. All right. There is no sponsors for this episode and there hasn't ever been any sponsors for this podcast. So please make sure to check out our Black Window Cream merch store and cop something to show your support for the podcast and the creative community. We have a very cool collection of Keep Creating Hoodies, which I'm wearing right now. Um, and those will only be available for a limited time. So definitely get those. We have shirts, long sleeves, mugs, hats. Look at this mug. This thing looks amazing if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, definitely go and pick something up at shopbwnc.com. Also, if you support Black Window Cream on Patreon, you will also receive an exclusive discount code on the merch if you want to look into our Patreon account and all the perks that we offer on that account. Go to patreon.com slash cream. Appreciate you. Um, if this is your first time tuning in the Black Window Cream podcast, you're probably wondering what does Black Window Cream stand for? Black Window Cream is a private content creator group fueled by caffeine, or at least I take my coffee, Black Window Cream, but you can drink or not drink any caffeine you fuck with and still be a part of our community. We are a free private group on Facebook open to creators of all kinds, aka if you make videos, if you're a photographer, if you do marketing management, editing, dancing, etc., etc., etc. All creators are welcome. Our private group has been going rapidly. We have a shit ton of members. They're working together. They're sharing content. They're asking for feedback. They're passing tips and tricks along to one another with the goal of pushing each other to become the best motherfucking content creators on earth. And you can join our group if you want to by going to bwnc.com slash join. We would love to fucking have you. Please join the group. All right, that's it. Enjoy the work week. Keep creating. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday and Sunday for a new Black Window Cream episode. And without further ado, I bring to you my interview with Morley in the most epic podcast intro ever created right motherfucking now. 
Attention. If you stop this podcast recording at any time, you will die. I don't want to die. Do you want to live? Yeah. You have 24 hours to share this podcast with five people or you will die. I'm kidding. You won't die. You're just weak shit for not sharing. And the winner of the best motherfucking podcast goes to... Goes to... Black with no cream. What do you think? It's so fucking dumb and so fucking Ben Haggerty. I knew you'd say that. And we're back. Another Black with No Cream podcast. How you doing? Doing good, man. How are you? Good. I I don't know. So you go by Morley, and I don't want to say your name because I don't know what you're if if people are looking for you. Yeah, Morley is sort of. Uh, it, I mean, it's it is it's my middle name, and I, I sort of use it as a as a as a shield. Um, so everybody always asks, like, you know, how do you stay uh, not arrested? And right. Part of that is usually just kind of keeping a very. Uh, just a little bit of a distance from from anybody being able to to id me too easily is that hard to do like with the internet it <laughs> like is old it is videos and old yeah. things that you've done in the past like is it hard to pull that off it, it is but you'd be surprised i think uh because of the fact that now the internet is sort of so vast that like things can get lost a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, i'm sure that if if the policemen uh and women were were you know super detectives they could they could probably find me you know without too much trouble but uh for me i, I rely a little bit on on uh, apathy mm. and uh and kind of just you know um letting things slide a little bit right yeah, i mean i've heard of, of artists getting arrested at their gallery openings and things like that and that's so that's crazy you know i try not to uh to do anything that'll that will um make anybody too mad but um right but, but but i also you know for example when i'll when i've gotten stopped in the past by the police i'll uh you know i'll take my stuff down as quickly as possible so that they don't sort of say wait a minute i've definitely yeah, seen, I've seen a lot more of this stuff <laughs> up and i can be like oh this is the first time i've ever yeah, done this right mr policeman you need like an emergency spray paint can that you can just spray <laughs> exactly. you'd rather get the tagging uh, <laughs> yeah. fine or whatever yeah, i'm shepherd fairy <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Something, know, something else um so you're an amazing artist my friend thank you and we go back very very long ways so long super long ways yeah. it's crazy um yeah. for people who don't know much about you mm-hmm. give them like the quick uh wikipedia summary wikipedia summary i you am, wikipedia i i think so nice yeah right. <laughs> although who, who knows what's on there now yeah. um uh i am a, I'm, a, I'm an artist a street artist based in la originally from iowa but uh my style basically is um, wheat pasted posters that are very typographic and have uh, messages and uh, slogans and aphorisms and things of that nature that uh, I'm hoping are going to be sort of positive contributions to anybody who walks by them, be them, be they, uh, you know, humorous or, uh, or, or poetic or uh, an attempt at, uh, you know, wisdom or uh, encouragement, all of those things, you know, I think, you know, I'm always hoping that, uh, you know, a person that's that's coming off a long shift or, uh, you know, another sort of a, a crappy audition or whatever will walk by it and get something from it, hopefully. Right. I feel like you're doing a good job at it because you're still doing it. And you, you've got some success on the internet and you have books. I do. Thank available. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I put it on the table. So I, just, I, just got <laughs> yeah. it the, I just got it like not too long ago. Nice. Yeah. I got worried that it wasn't coming. Yeah. There was a, there was a shortage. I, I was reading somewhere about there being a, a shortage of paper because of, well, one, I think there's some tariff issues, which is weird, but mm. uh, from a lot of printers that are, are in China. And then I, I heard there was a weird paper shortage because there was a few books that did um, surprisingly well, like Michelle Obama's book did really, really, oh, yeah, really that, well. Yeah. You know, obviously expected 
people expected it to do well, but not quite as well as it did. Right. So I think a lot of publishers were had to sort of um, slow their roll a little bit on, on mm. like releases and stuff like that. So it got it got pushed a little bit, but I'm glad to see that it's out and that it's you know because for me, you know, I don't know about you, but anything I do, I'm always convinced there's even the like, the last second that it could like be like we're, we've decided not to put it out type of thing so the right. second i'm holding it is the second that it actually feels it's real. done yeah. yeah but until then it's like oh no the, someone you know like right the, the movie theater could like shut down and be like we're not showing this type yeah. of thing. like there's there's never a chance that it can't somehow go wrong yeah a lot of things get i feel like book shelf or shelved what, what was that shelved yeah, sure. shelved it gets shelved off often um and it, that is frightening and yeah. i feel like i also feel like the same way with the, any job i mean i mm-hmm. filming in a job you, you until you're on set or until until the check comes in yeah you know right, what I mean? totally. you're like, oh cool that job was real i got paid <laughs> yeah. to, from four weeks ago yeah exactly um so going i mean starting back childhood wise mm-hmm. how much do you like to dip into that trying to keep your identity oh, separate as long as i'm not sort of i iding myself too too intensely I, i'm pretty pretty open about my childhood and about anything in my history you know um, film projects and things like that. If we mention titles of those, is that like getting too like easy to find you? <laughs> I don't know. Cause I feel like all these things add up to why you are who sure. you are today. I mean, we can talk about, you know, just, just random stuff that I've done, but right. you know, maybe stay away from, from, uh, exact titles just right. for this, just so that we don't, um, you know, yeah. get too close for comfort. But, um, I'm cool with that. Yeah. But, uh, as far as like, uh, where, what I, where, where I came from. Well, you know, I mean, we could tell, yeah, I was just saying like later on, from the things that you worked on getting through after college to here yeah, at those yeah, things in, sure. in particular, but, mm-hmm. um, earlier on. Yeah. So b- the way we know each other right. is interesting, mm-hmm. which I've known you since, uh, shit. I want to oh. say you're three years old when I met you. <laughs> it could have been that, yeah. that long, three yeah. years old. Damn. That's emoji. Yeah. Friendship. Um, your mom was dating my uncle. Mm-hmm. And so you would always be around our family. So mm-hmm. every time people were always like, Oh, more, check out this piece. I'm like, that's pretty much my cousin. So I, I tell <laughs> totally. everyone that. Yeah. So like, yeah, for sure. We, we've go back all the way since then. And I just remember you having a heavy presence with GI Joe's and things like that back <laughs> totally. in the day. But, um, yeah, no, talk about your childhood. So, so I grew up, um, originally born in Iowa. Um, and then, uh, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young. And we moved around, my mom and my sister and I, we first moved to um, San Francisco for a little bit and then Washington where I met your uncle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, all of us moved to back to Iowa. And so I spent most of my, I mean, I pretty much, even though I spent some years in in other places, I feel like I'm kind of an Iowa kid through and through, Um, you know, um, all of my sort of primary memories kind of begin in Iowa. And I feel like it's really where I kind of came of age and, and, and every kind of, you know, defining characteristic of me was based, you know, right. has some sort of, you know, uh, through line with that. And, uh, you know, growing up in Iowa, I was always kind of, uh, there was that, that sense of feeling like the ceiling was pretty low, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, I, I was fortunate, you know, it's funny because a lot of people, I think, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, when you tell them you're from Iowa, they get a very specific kind of picture in their mind, which is not always accurate, you know, like... Always. Right. They and think so, Idaho and Ohio. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. They just think like sweeping fields of corn. Yeah. And the truth of it is, is that it's not exactly that, but it's 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 also, you know, to f- like for a lot of friends that I have, like they might have grown up in the suburbs, but it was like, it, it was a 45 minute drive to mm. like a major city. And for me, it was like, 
Chicago was the closest you'd come to like a real city, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And that was like four hours away. So right. you're pretty far from like uh, what, what uh, you know, the sort of the, the real hubs of places, you know. Yeah. Um, but I did grow up in a university town in the, in Iowa city. And, and so there was still like, you know, it was, it was a literate town. It wasn't like, you know, Hicks or anything like that. Um, uh, but there still felt like anything that you do, or, you know, if you rise to the top of your game at, at something, uh, you know, in Iowa, you're going to sort of reach that top pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. you sort of, in my mind, you know, and I think as, as most sort of young, arrogant people do, they kind of think like, I, I, I'm, I'm too, I need to, I need, I need more room to grow than right. this town can sort of provide me. Especially, you know, if you, you know, feel like you're, you know, um, Mr. Cool or Mr. Whatever. Um, and, you know, I probably as a kid thought, you know, had, had a very healthy, uh, confidence in that regard and probably a, a, a slight amount of, of misplaced arrogance as well. <laughs> but I think that's also the kind of thing that motivates a person, yeah. you know, like I think that uh, any person who, you know, moves to New York, which is what I did when I graduated co- uh, high school, um, you kind of need that, that, uh, that, um, that little spirit inside your head that's saying like, you know, I, I deserve to be making this trip. I deserve to be, you know, to be out here. And then I moved. So I moved to New York, um, you know, with, with aspirations to be a filmmaker. That was, that was the, the primary goal in my mind because, you know, specifically screenwriting was what was the most, uh, exciting aspects. You know, I grew up in the era of, um, uh, independent movies like, you know, Sundance and Miramax and things like that. And so for me, you know, uh, movies like Pulp Fiction were that, that was like a mainstream successful, like film, like you think of that as being like, that's the kind of movies that can get made, you know, that's the regular kind of, um, of thing. And then when you, for me, at least I, I sort of felt like I arrived to the scene, like, like just right after the kind of that, that era had ended, you know, and all of a sudden now it's, it's not, you know, independent films aren't necessarily as exciting to the, to the culture anymore, you know, and Mm. you kind of, it felt a little bit like arriving, uh, you know, in Seattle, like, you know, six months after Kurt Cobain killed himself type of thing where you're like, Oh, the party's kind of over. Yeah, for sure. So I went to school at a place called the school of visual arts, and while I was there, I was really, it was really exciting because I was meeting all these different people and, um, and they were all very inspiring and they all did, you know, like the, the school I went to, I went there as a film major, but I, I met, you know, photographers and I met, uh, illustrators and I met dancers, you know, and, and, and fashion people at FIT that were, it was nearby. And, you know, I met, uh, all of these different, you know, people that were doing all these different things. And it really opened my mind up to all the different ways that you can express yourself and mm. that you're kind of not as limited as it seemed to be. Um, you know, and so I started noticing a lot more different kinds of artwork. And I noticed in New York that there was all this wonderful, you know, thing that, that was introduced to me as street art. And I thought, wait a second. So, uh, you know, the idea you're creating something and it actually gets to live out its destiny without it being like, you know, like with a screenplay, you know, you, you write the screenplay, you try and get, you know, financing, you try and get actors, you try and, you know, get it, you know, made and then you try and get distributors then you try and get it into a movie theater mm-hmm. and you're trying to get people to show up to that movie theater right and there's all those different layers of permission that are required before you actually even get to sort of like see your your creation get to live out what it was meant to do you know if even like yeah exactly yeah 
so, you know, as a person who sort of had become used to, you know, drawing up blueprints for buildings that never got made, kind of, um, I started really appreciating the fact that there was a, a way of expressing yourself without it having to go through all those different layers and saying, it's not a flyer for your band's show. It is the band's show type mm, of thing. You yeah. Know? And so I started sort of playing around in New York and doing little things. And this is while you were in school. This is while I was in school. Oh, yeah. Cool. So I started, I had taken a, a silk screening class. And one of the things that I started doing was silk screening my, these different ideas, messages and, 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 little uh, quotes and things I would come up with um, or quotes that were from other people that I liked and, and just screen printing them onto the contact paper, which is like that stuff you line like kitchen shelves with and things right. like that. And was the would, silk printing, is that the same thing that you would use to print on shirts? Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, so it's like squeegee. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I could make like, you know, you know, a bunch of, of, of different messages on, on the, you know, big rolls of, of sticker paper yeah. essentially. And put them up around uh, uh, the subways and stuff like that. And sort of for me, it was really exciting because um, I could just sit there as after putting it up, I could sit there and then I could watch someone walk by and maybe notice it mm. and kind of like be like, huh. And they realize <laughs> like, wow, they're, they like. It I, just worked. It just worked. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny because the, I think that like the very first experience I ever had with street art was, um, I had written like a short story and I, there was a, there was a bank that was near my dorm and it had one of those little like ATM rooms where you kind of like go into the room and it's just ATMs and it's not quite the bank proper. But so I went, I, I went into one to that, uh, to that room and, and left my story next to like the deposit envelopes and just kind of like, like pre- just on paper, mm-hmm, just okay. like printed on paper and then, uh, sat uh, and pretended to be like, you know, using the ATM. And then the next person came in and kind of, you know, was, you know, looked around and then they, they say, they see this little story and they kind of picked it up and they sort of started reading it and then they kind of just see them sort of like fold it up and put it in their pocket and leave. Cause they thought they just found something that someone had just like forgotten or whatever. Oh wow. And for me, I was just like, I finally found an audience. Yeah. That's you know? insane. One of one. Yeah, that's crazy. Exactly. And so it sort of gave me that experience gave me an understanding of the value of both, um, a, a large variety of people seeing something in the terms of like the people that would see something on the subway and then also the value of one person seeing something, mm. you know, that one person that got the story and took it home, you know? So for me, it's like, I'm always kind of trying to create art that kind of, uh, meets the sweet spot between those two, you know, uh, audiences, yeah. the one person and then the, then the broad, you know, mm. general audience, you know, I had a friend that was on the podcast, two things actually, when I was, um, I would do something similar. Or I, I, I enjoyed the same feeling when I would go to like the Apple store and I would just go on a couple of the computers and pull up one of my recent videos and just oh, leave right it there on, and yeah. then walk away yeah, and people totally. walk up and see it. And then probably just like X out real quick and start seeing like the Ram or something. <laughs> Totally. I think that to me, it's like, I think that's, that's one of the sort of telltale signs of a real artist is when there's the joy in not necessarily being celebrated for something, but just knowing that your expression is being ingested in some Mm. way, you know, like, um, I think that, uh, that, you know, I meet a lot of people who you can tell pretty quickly what their motivation is because of the fact that they're sort of like, yeah, but if it's not going to be huge, what's the point? Right. You know, and it's kind of like, well, the point is one, you know, the creation of something just literally like it didn't exist before and now it does exist, you know? 
Uh, and then the second, I think, is the edification you can hopefully bring somebody else, but also that you can bring to yourself in the sense yeah. of like, who are you on the other side of making this? Right. What have you learned? What have, you know, have you gained anything as far as experience, as far as wisdom, as far as um, an understand, a better understanding of yourself? You know, like, And that's the real world experience that they try right. to teach you in school, that you're yeah. going to go out and get the real world experience. Totally. Like that's yeah. it. Even mm -hmm. testing things that might not hit like the viral campaigns that you want to get on YouTube or something mm -hmm. like that. It still exists in multiple formats. Yeah. But my friend had always said, and I think this parallel to what you said. So he was on the podcast, Travis Lloyd. He's a public speaker from Iowa. He's from Des Moines. Nice. Um, and he, he focuses on foster care and, and all things like that. But he had his part of his speech because I would travel with him when he would speak and I would make like little videos for him was it's just it's just one person. That's like one of his biggest phrases. And, mm -hmm. it, and it goes back to like for him, it was one person in school that gave him the mindset that he wasn't just a piece of shit foster sure. kid that yeah. he could excel in many things. And for you, it's the same thing. So I'm sure that you've probably gotten emails or some sort of message about someone suicidal or someone mm -hmm. that, that this thing completely changed their day or mindset through yeah. just that, which is to me, it's bigger than trying to do some rapid campaign that might not ever really resonate with anyone. Cause it's just something people are watching on their phones and, mm -hmm. and silent while they're at work yeah. and it doesn't make sense or whatever. Um, so I guess th that did that become kind of part of your mission? Absolutely. You know, and, and I think, you know, it's funny because, um, so I move out to LA after being in New York and, you know, still chasing the dream of being a, of a, of being a screenwriter and making projects and, ha and having, you know, uh, small, small amounts of success, but, you know, enough to sort of keep me going, but, um, really getting frustrated by the, the amount of money and time and also, you know, um, the difficulty in finding collaborators too, yeah. that, that can be a challenge too, in terms of just finding the right team of people that you can work with, you know, and, and also just wanting to kind of create something where I could be all on my own and create something, you know, it's funny cause I, I do, I've done music over the years and it's always, you know, there's the magic of, of, uh, of playing with a band and being like, you know, getting the joy of that, which I know you've experienced. Yeah. But then there's also the kind of, you know, different experience you have when you spend all night, just like sort of, working on something by yourself, you know, layering it on by yourself and sort of, you know, like, you know, putting, you know, all the sort of different, you know, little tweaks on it yourself. And then at the end sort of saying, wow, so this is, this is all me, you know, yeah. unadulterated sort of like no filter, you know, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's things to gain from collaboration. Of course, there's also things to gain, I think from like, you know, the 10,000 hours spending, you know, by yourself sitting, you know, with a laptop or, or an acoustic guitar or whatever. Um, and so I sort of, you know, I wanted to have a kind of side project that was something that I could just do myself that I could do and get some small amount of joy out of. And so, um, you know, that was when I started developing this idea of like, well, what if I created messages that would encourage people like me? Like I'm frustrated. I get disappointed and let down by, you know, things that I'd hoped to, you know, would be more successful, whatever. Uh, you know, and, and I realized I lived now in a city, Los Angeles, that's just full of, uh, frustrated dreamers, you know, and they, they're not always, some of them are, are people that moved out here to be, you know, um, to, to try and you know, achieve some goal, but, or some of them are people that have come out here, achieved the goal and found that they're still not, they don't feel complete. Mm. Some of them are people that are from here and, you know, challenged by just the economy and the, you know, and. You know, some of them are immigrants from different, you know, countries that have come here sort of chasing a, a dream that's, that's 
you know, less, you know, glitzy and glamorous than being a rock star, but are, are chasing, you know, just as hard and if not harder than anybody else. And so, you know, for me, I thought I want to try and speak to these people. I want to try and leave messages behind that can, you know, hopefully make their day just a little bit brighter. So I started creating this stuff. And then when I was, you know, utilizing, I thought, well, I'm not really like a talented illustrator necessarily. I'm not really a talented artist in these ways that, you know, the people that I knew from school were, but I do feel like maybe I have some skills as a writer that I could utilize. And, and I thought, you know, but is that good enough? You know? And I thought, well, maybe it's the one thing that can define me. Maybe mm. the thing that I feel like, you know, um, maybe I can be like the guy who kind of does like the, the text stuff, you know, that I'm the typography guy, right. you know, and obviously there are other street artists that have used, you know, words and stuff like that. But I thought, you know, instead of, instead of seeing it as being, um, a, a, a failure or a flaw on my part, maybe lean into it and like, let it be the kind of thing that can be my sort of flag that I fly and say, no, this is what defines me. And so then with that came also this desire of, well, obviously street artists are all sort of anonymous and, um, or, or create a sort of mythology, you know, the sort of Banksy kind of Robin hood type of urban folklore hero, right. Which I just thought I'm not, I, I don't think that would be, uh, sincere for me. I don't think that I could be something I could pull off. I don't think I'm cool enough. I don't think I'm, but a similar, in a similar way, I thought, you know, well, what if I'm not trying to be cool? What if I'm not trying to create this sort of cool character? What if I'm just as honest in me as I actually am? So, I thought, you know, instead of it being a brand or a logo or something that people would say, oh, I, I always see that, you know, that uh, that character, I, I thought it should be me. Right. It should be a drawing of me leaving these messages for people um, so that they can say that's coming from a person that's coming from a, someone that, that I can view as a friend or a sort of an, another, you know, comrade in arms. And so that was sort of the, uh, you know, initial germination of the idea. And then I thought I need to kind of go beyond stickers because LA doesn't have kind of the mass tr transit system that, uh, that New York You were has. still doing that same style and from New York to here. Yeah. Or, or you know, I, I, I was thinking like, you know, how, how, you know, at this point I was like, how can I evolve that style into something that would work better in LA? Right. And so that's when I started using uh, the wheat paste posters mm. because you know, it was something that, you know, people like Shepard Ferry, uh, you know, and have, have used. And there's a lot of other street artists. I mean, some people think it's sort of um, the, uh, the, the, the street artists, you know, the cheating method or whatever. But for me, it created a way of, of making, you know, I can have 50 posters in my car. Right. You know, a lot of people that use like stencils and things like that, um, it takes a lot longer to cut a stencil than it does to print out a poster. And so I can create a poster. I can have a bunch of different posters. And if I find the right context for that message, you know, cause I don't want to create a message that feels completely out of the environment that it's put up in, you know, right. why would I put like a message about materialism in Compton? And why would I put a message about, you know, striving through adversity in Beverly Hills? Yeah. Type yeah of thing. Exactly. So, so, um, so I sort of started there and it really genuinely was, not thought of with, you know, through a business lens, you know, if I had thought of it as a sort of a business, I think I might've been a little bit more shrewd because it's just too easy. I think to, uh, you know, to, to create, you know, like 
why would I necessarily think that someone would want to hang on their wall a picture of me? You know I, what I mean? I have, I have you on my wall, man. <laughs> you do. But I think like it took me a long time for I got me you to, at my coffee table. I got you. <laughs> you know, it's but it's funny. It's because it's like I, I, I realized that one of the, 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 the challenges about like if I was to try and sell my art, which, you know, I, I thankfully do. And it's, it's always uh, baffling to me, but I'm always really grateful for it. Um, it's like if I was to try and describe to you what a painting by like Picasso looked like, I could sort of maybe explain it to you in a way that you could sort of picture in your mind, but you're not experiencing the art. Right. If I just remember the message that I saw while I was passing it on the street and tell you, you've pretty much experienced the art, right. you know? Um, so that means that it's, it's, it's a lot more kind of temporal and a lot more sort of uh, it's, it, it's not as vital, but at the same time, I think that's, you know, that's the way that our culture is these days. You, yeah. know, you walk by something and, and you don't necessarily need to stop and say, I need to burn this into my memory. But sometimes it's just like you see a message and you feel like, oh, wow, that's actually relates to something that I'm going through and something that's relevant to me in this way or that way. And it kind of requires the average person that passes to kind of implant their own DNA, mm. you know, and sort of say, this relates to me because of these things that I'm going through. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about finding that sweet spot between being um, general and being specific. If you right. can create something that feels like a nut that most people that pass it can say this, I can relate to this, but at the same time you want each of those people to say, wow, this feels so intimately for me because right. of what I'm going through. So coming from a relatable source too, like you, it, the right. way you're you're creating these posters, just it's you, just looking very relatable. You know what I mean? Yeah, like hopefully, yeah. just another dude in right. the streets. Like that yeah. makes sense to me. I don't draw, you know, uh, an awesome, you know, set of abs on my on myself. You know, which is <laughs> we should start wearing like Gucci. <laughs> yeah, right. I should just like, you know, I, I should make myself look like uh, the Maroon Five singer with all the tattoos. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, like to start doing you without the shirt. Off my shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when I posted that I was having you on in mm -hmm. our community, I just shared one of your posters, and the one that I shared was that it says, "Even though I asked you what you." Uh, thought I really just wanted compliments <laughs> yeah. and, and I feel like everyone in our community faces that which is <laughs> tough because even though you know people have their opinions all you really do want is like some applause for your work right. um, even if it's not there yet you, it's still something you sure you're in for but I thought that was it's going to be very relatable for everyone in the community yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's, 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 uh, I, that's the thing, you know, you want to create something for me, at least I always want to create something that enough people can relate to, but also can say, I haven't necessarily articulated it because, um, it's not something I'm super proud of, or mm -hmm. it's not something that, uh, that I feel, uh, you know, I want to sort of admit about myself type of a thing. And it's amazing to me how much, you know, um, I think, you know, that that's sort of a, a silly one. But at the same time, I think there's there's an important message in that. And that sometimes like people do kind of just need um, empowerment, you know. Mm, and yeah. so it's funny how like how often like, you know, when people will show me like artwork or whatever that they've done, I never feel it's my obligation to really give sincere criticism. I think that that's it's great, you know, when when uh, when people can find the people that are sort of like can really mentor them. But for me, it's like, man, this world is so full of people who will just say no, no, no to you that it's like. You know, every time I've ever like read a friend's screenplay or whatever, I'm always like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to say everything that I think is great about it. And unless there's something that I feel like is fundamental that I can kind of, you know, help steer them with, if it's like a small, you know, thing of like, 
this kind of didn't really work or this, you know, I think this character didn't feel relatable. I might keep that to myself just because it seems like, you know, what are you actually gaining by, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, figuring out the value of a criticism and then the value of, 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 of applause. Right. Yeah. And I feel like it's always great to lead off anytime someone's asking for a critique with, anything positive at first like please come with positivity otherwise it's just gonna they're never gonna absorb it the way Mm -hmm. they even wanted to in the first place you know they yeah they may be willing to take the hit if someone's gonna give it to them but yeah i understand that completely yeah so during the process of you so you started this kind of like when you moved to la when did you Mm -hmm. move to la 2006 is when it kind of became morally oh really so 2006 to around 2010 was when i was sort of germinating and then i sort of started doing uh stuff more um like aggressively around 2010 oh, okay yeah so during that time you because i like love the idea of you going to film school and doing all that to learn screenwriting and everything mm-hmm. that you were doing and, and applying that out here and i understand the frustration of getting things off the ground because mm-hmm. i know that that's very challenging there's a there's a youtuber that i don't know if you know casey neistat have you heard of this guy i haven't no he's like the guy that created vlogging okay basically that type of creating content but this his story is similar in the way where he he had a show with his brother on hbo that he like started and wrote directed did what everything was the show? i can't i can't the nice that brothers maybe i can't okay. remember the title of the show but it's about him and his brother his brother mm-hmm. is i don't think very famous but casey's like did it on youtube he's like the first guy to invent that style of shooting and whatever but the reason why he started that was because of his frustration um doing the hollywood route of creating right and he said it took him three years to make that show come to life and with that frustration he decided all right well what if i make a movie like my movies that are nine ten minutes long for youtube and he would go out and explore somewhere and create something and the idea of just being able to create it and hit upload and if people see it cool if not at least it's out yeah is the same idea with this which i feel like is really unique and I, same with me with the podcast like just the fact that we can sit down and record yeah. and i could share that i don't know even if the numbers are low to start with there and they stay low sure it doesn't matter i think it, it hits people the right way which is the whole point well i think it's the beginning of ingenuity in a lot of ways mm. you know i think it's it's you know you look at you know i mean i think podcasting in general i think you know you know you look at all the sort of biggest podcasts and they almost all sort of started out of you know, people being frustrated with the fact that they, you know, were sort of felt like they were shouting into the ether and they thought, well, might as well start recording some of the shouting Yeah, and maybe the ether can, you know, can be populated by people somehow. I mean, like, you know, you look at like WTF and things like that there, you know, I mean, and it's, it's funny because it, I think it relates back to, to my, you know, upbringing with the independent film, you know, sort of movement and thinking like, I remember, you know, for me watching a movie like Clerks or Reservoir Dogs when mm-hmm. I was a kid, you know, or El Mariachi or any of the, the sort of classic 90s independent, right. you know, movies, it, it, it to me was like, wow, so this guy just got together some money and just like shot it and like people were hungry for that, you right. know, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's the, the, the frustrating thing is when you sort of realize like, Oh, you're sort of, you've, you've come too late to the, to the show and you realize like it's, it's overwhelmed with people that are all clamoring to kind of like get something, you know? And so then it's like, that's, I think it's usually in those moments you're like, you kind of tilt your, your gaze a little bit and find something new and you're like, wow, well, this hasn't been, this hasn't been sort of exploited too much. This is a different way, you know, a a kind of a new method that hasn't, Mm. you know, necessarily been overwhelmed by, by people jockeying sort of for, for position. 
Um, and I think that for me, that was one of the things that was really enticing about street right. art was that I could create something and, and it, there wasn't necessarily like 10,000 other people that it could kind of just get lost in, you know? And, and what's interesting is, you know, street art has had, I think had kind of its moment in the sun and, and that moment has faded a little bit. You know, there was a sort of moment, I think when, when it became like the sort of flavor of the month and LA was sort of, there was a lot more street art, you know, yeah. everywhere you'd look, you'd see a, a different artist that was, you know, doing stuff, which was both exciting and also kind of frustrating because it sort of diluted the, the talent pool a little bit. Mm. And you'd also get a lot of people that were in it, you know, I think very temporarily because they thought, oh, well, wait a second. If I don't get a gallery show in two months, then what's the point yeah. you know, type of thing, which I think you see in the podcast world, you see in a lot of these right. different sort of, you know, methods of expression that, that uh, as soon as sort of someone, you know, lights a fire, everyone sort of runs to it. And then it becomes this kind of thing of like, well, who can, who can, you know, sort of have a voice that's, that stands out a little mm -hmm. bit. So for me, I think it's, you know, um, I, I kind of started rambling there, but I think, I well, think are you saying this, that it's toned down now? It's, I think it's toned down now. Yeah. I think, be, you know, for different reasons, I think it's toned down because I think that fewer celebrities are sort of into it. Um, I think it's toned down because, um, maybe the, the sort of super rich art people that were spending a lot of money and probably too much money on a lot of art, you know, weren't seeing their investments returned necessarily. Right. Um, and I think also it just became kind of the, the culture sort of got used to the idea and all of a sudden they weren't, you know, um, a street art wasn't just automatically kind of like a, a cool outlaw type mm. of a thing. It sort of feels like, you know, um, maybe like gangster rap in the nineties where it's right. sort of like, it's got this kind of aura to it that people are drawn to. And then once that kind of becomes commonplace, all of a sudden it's sort of, you go from, you know, straight out of Compton to Ja Rule or something. Right. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Firefest. Um, <laughs> did. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I feel like especially Netflix absorbing and creating, I'm trying to, like actually through the gift shop and things mm -hmm. that became mainstream, like the something that would pop on to me in Iowa at the time. Right. Why, why is it showing up in my feed? But then all of a sudden I'm learning about this culture and then this guy and then Banksy and you hear all these stories mm -hmm. and, and it is very like, cause it's anonymous and there's all these secrets and mm -hmm. especially with Banksy cause it's just yeah. such a, you know I mean? The first one to like really pop at like superstar well, level. Yeah. And I think it's also like he, he became so sort of, um, his ideas were so interesting, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that, that people were, were suddenly realizing not only the idea of like, Oh, he's not only is he coming up with clever sort of little pieces of, of art, but he's putting them in places that makes the, makes the environment part of the art, you right. know? which I think is one of the best things about street art that, you know, a building is dilapidated and falling apart. You put a piece of art in it and all of a sudden it's like, it's not just that little area that the art is now. It's yeah. everything that, that is within that sort of frame is, is suddenly part of the art. And I mm -hmm. think that that's, you know, a way of sort of reclaiming spaces and it's a way of, of, you know, um, utilizing, uh, your, you know, the, the world that you live in. And I think that it makes people sort of, it transforms the space to a lot of people. Yeah. That know? makes sense. Someone should go, uh, light it up over here at this empty target building on uh, sunset. Have I you seen have that? Been, I've been obsessed with this, this ghost target for so Isn't long. Isn't it weird? It's so weird. I, I don't understand. They must, at, at some point, the amount of money that has been spent to halfway build it. And the lights are always on. Yeah. Like, just to keep it lit. Like, yeah. what the fuck? There's, uh, so people, <laughs> people don't understand. There's, right by my house, there's a, 
Target building that they mm-hmm. started building, but I guess the city said they're... Yeah, so, sorry, <laughs> I just uh, fucked up. I didn't, you know, batteries. <laughs> we can just jump back in you like know. nothing ever happened and we just could. say, like, you know, yeah, so so you were explaining what Ghost Target was. Oh, yeah, There's Ghost this- Target. Yeah, so sorry, Ghost Target's right over here on Sunset. Right by... Have you had the taco truck there? I you, have, yeah. Do you get the burritos ever? I, I haven't gotten the burritos there. I, I've been I've been a vegetarian now oh. for, for not too long, yeah. but... Uh, but um, but I have had the, I've in the past had them and they're fantastic. So they must fund the ghost target because this ghost target's just sat on this <laughs> lot with its lights on every night. And I don't understand it. And they just haven't completed building it. And it's just sitting there. It's a massive building, yeah. massive project. I'm always blown away by everything that costs tremendous amounts of money. If there's not a guarantee that that'll, that, it, you know, they'll recoup, they'll recoup yeah. that money. Because to me, it's like, you think about the devastating, uh, you know, like, movies that cost $200 million that, you know, don't make their money back. And you think like, not only could you obviously do wonderful things like feed, you know, homeless people people and all that stuff with $200 million, but even just like, you could also have made uh, $200 million movies that could have made, you know, at least so money, you know, like it's it's, so much impact. I I never understand the idea of like target probably doesn't even know that buildings there, right? right you know, like it's just sat there for so much time that you just, yeah, that's it just becomes a write-off or something, you know. Yeah. Okay, so now that we, <laughs> we now just that did we've our covered Target, yeah, exactly. now that you guys know what's going on over here at Target <laughs> and uh, East Hollywood or wherever I'm at, yeah. Um, so what I really, so for me, coming up in this stuff, which is interesting because I just want to tie in how yeah. like our relationship. Mm-hmm. I remember because um, we, we knew each other as kids, but then you left, obviously, mm-hmm. and then going on as I started getting into high school and I was playing music and stuff and got into playing with my cameras, it was more mm-hmm. like snowboard skate videos and things like sure, that. But yeah. I started getting into, you want know, being a little bit more artistic with it. And Dan, my uncle had mm-hmm. told me to check out your stuff that you've been doing. Cause he just keeps tabs. You know, he's a king of keeping yeah, tabs. Sure. And you were, I think maybe you were still in, uh, maybe you just got done with film school. Maybe you're out in LA already and you mm-hmm. got, you were making like shorts and different mm-hmm. things like that and working on like a feature. And I remember watching that and that shit changed everything for me. Cause I'm just really? like, wow, it can, yeah. cause you were from here, right? You're from Iowa and it could be done. You know what I mean? Like you, mm-hmm. you had done it. And at the time I was trying to decide, do I go to film school? Do I, and I reached out to you. I don't know if you remember this, but I, I don't know what platform it was on MySpace or something, but I had mis- messaged you and was like, yo, I'm considering this, like, what do you, what do you think? And like your biggest takeaway, and I still tell everyone this whenever we talk about film school is like, from my only experience is like, I have a friend that went and enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. And I have two people that have done it. And then I have a lot of people that haven't. And I I just know the people that have done it, told me the reasons that were positive walking out of it. And yours was that it's going to cost a lot of money, but the best thing is you never know like who your peers are going to be. You know, you could be going to school with like a, like a, the next Spielberg. You yeah. just don't know that mm-hmm. until, so it's the king of networking. Like you're paying right. to have the best network. Yeah. And then obviously the opportunities that come with like being in that space and using that stuff. But totally that made such a big impact on me. And then I just didn't do it cause it was, it was like so much money. Well, I think it's, it's, you know, it's always a different world. And I think there's so many different things to gain until, you know, and I think that, you know, for me, I think, I, I was surprised how I knew a lot of kids in film school who graduated and thought like, what a waste of time that was. And it was like, yeah, but you made it a waste of time. Yeah, totally. You didn't, you didn't utilize it the same way. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people you can make, 
you know, anything you're, you know, you can make your film school be whatever you, whatever, if you, if you're, if you're hustling and you're doing everything you can do and you're making those connections and you're doing everything you like, I think then that, that you're gaining the same experience, you're gaining the same, you know, like there's people that go to film school and because they don't make it a priority, they don't leave having shot anything, right? You know, they don't leave having, you know, uh, done more than, than, uh, you know, a few bong hits and, right. <laughs> and partied or whatever, you know? And I think that, you know, I was always blown away when I would go to like, like my film school had like a film library and mm. I felt like I was the only one that ever went to it and ever like checked out all these different movies and watched them, you know? And I think that like, you know, um, you can't, there's, there's definitely no method of, of, uh, of, of education where it's just sort of plugged in like the matrix where you're just like, I know Kung Fu now right. and everything. You're like, you're never going to experience something like that in this world. So it really is up to you to, to, to get that, you know, education. And I think that's why, you know, um, f- however is the best way of experiencing that. And I think then the, the only difference beyond that, beyond a person who's like, you know, Will Hunting from Good Will Hunting, who can read a thousand books and really like get that knowledge, uh, and a person who goes to, you know, a, a big expensive school is the people that you will meet. And I think that, you know, if you're, you know, trying to be a, you know, um, an English major, it might not necessarily matter as much the people that you're meet going to meet. But if you're going to get into a collaborative art form like filmmaking, it's really important to meet good people and right. to somehow connect to those people. And I think you're uh, the kind of person that is, you know, naturally, um, you know, uh, drawn to, to socializing and and to finding the right, you know, the people and saying, okay, this, you know, this is a talented guy. I want to, you know, meet him and and talk to him and get to, get to glean as much information as I can off of him. And then, you know, maybe collaborate with him on something kind of thing. And those relationships I think come really easy to you. I think some people, um, you know, uh, don't necessarily have that skill as much. So college is a, is an easier sort of place for that, that socialization to kind of naturally happen. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like choosing not to go to, because I was going to go to the Art Institute in Colorado mm-hmm. and choosing to not go there because it was like an obnoxious, I mean, for some reason it was like over a hundred grand for right. the school, two year program or something. And I just, my parents were like, we support you, but you have to understand you're going to be paying for this for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. Like you need to know that. And yeah. I just want, at the time I wanted to go film snowboarding movies, just make snowboarding movies. Sure. And so I didn't go and I ended up going to my community college and then went to my university and took a, it was just a communications degree with mm-hmm. like an emphasis on electronic media. It was super bullshit. And being there, I met the people that were going through the process to just, you know, be the matrix and just like learn how to right. do. And it was basically like setting you up to go to news, to do news, you yeah. know what I mean? To learn how to sure. do news broadcasts. And I found the right people in my squad that wanted to do more, that wanted to be more creative, that were, you know, we had the opportunity to do that. And so we would take the gear and we'd go shoot and we'd try all these things. And it was trash. Like what we were making was trash. It was never good, but it was still the act of being active. That yeah. was so fulfilling. And, and that just, having that immediate find to know that this isn't really where I want to be, but there's people that are also in that same situation. Like we could go and try to be creative elsewhere. That means that it can exist everywhere. And then all you have to do is just have the knowledge to know that cool. If I leave here and go somewhere over here, this may be a little bit better or be easier to find. It might not be 
easy, but it will be easier to find what I'm looking for than it is here, you know? Right. But, I think the only thing that, that then is thrown into that mix, the sort of democratization of materials in terms of like, you know, the guy who wants to get into, you know, filmmaking, for example, there's a lot of equipment that you can either, you know, learn to use. I think that for you, like, it seemed like a big thing was, was finding equipment that you, that you, that you felt, uh, you could thrive with, you know, using. And I think it was drone footage yeah, yeah. that the first was sort of your big first thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that like that is fantastic for you. And I think that, you know, you were able to sort of find that thing and, you know, I, I'm always, it's always a challenge, uh, you know, I think for people who don't necessarily have access to that kind of a thing. Mm. And I think it's great that we're getting into a, an era where that access is becoming so much more easier for people to get, you know, like you can get a crappy drone now and, 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 and sort of like, to me, it's sort of like, you know, with art, uh, I, I liken it to like being like a cook and that like, you know, before you're going to become the best, you know, uh, you know, you're going to be able to make them the world's greatest scrambled eggs. You got to make a lot, you got to burn a lot of eggs, mm-hmm. you know, you got to make a lot of really bad meals and right. a lot of really, you know, and like you said with, you know, the, the films that you started making, you know, like they weren't necessarily great, but it's like every single time you made something, you gained, you got a little bit better, just yeah, a little bit sure. better, you know? And I think that, um, that it's exciting that there are art forms now that I think that people can, can get better in without having it necessarily be something that is only accessible to people who have millions of dollars. And, 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 you know, and sometimes I think that comes from, you know, like when I went to film school, that to me was like the only way that I knew how to get access to a film camera. You know, that was my theory on it as well. You right. know what I mean? To actually have the opportunity to play with those tools. And that's what I think the draw was to going to that school was, right. Um, I remember taking a tour of that art institute in Colorado and they're like, and this is our eighth floor with a million dollars worth of film gear. And I'm like, Oh my fucking God, a million, a million dollars. Yeah. It only takes a couple kids to go through this two year program for them to pay for a million dollars worth of right, yeah. film gear. Like, and it, the draw of that, that was so cool to me. Cause I knew if I was in there, I would be touching it and utilizing it and checking it out every single day and shooting with it and mm-hmm. trying to create. And, and now, you know, years later, that stuff's completely right. never being used ever again, yeah. except for like some of the, well, and there's, it's interesting too, because like, as far as film school goes, like there's, there's the, the two sort of methods of thought. Like I remember I, I went to NYU and they were like, you know, your first three years, you're going to do a lot of film theory. You're going to do a lot of like, you know, like, uh, more, um, textbook stuff, you know, and, 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 and we're going to discuss things and, and, and analyze things more. And then you'll, you know, your junior year, you'll start, uh, you'll start making stuff. And I was like, I can't wait that long. Yeah. I'm going to be getting, you know, I'm I probably won't even finish school because I'll be, you know, making my first, you know, feature film that'll become an Oscar nominated <laughs> film by after, you know, sophomore year. So yeah. I need to go to the school that gives me access to these things to, you know, right away. And right. So that was what drew me to the school of visual arts was they were like freshmen start shooting film. You oh, know? And so I was like, that's, that's where I need to be. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's, that, uh, that's great as long as you can sort of, find the discipline to, to use the stuff and get better at it and not, Mm. because I think you can also become frustrated by the fact that you're like, wow, I think a lot of street artists get frustrated by, you know, they're like, wow. So I start creating stuff and it's not immediately setting the world on fire or I don't feel like I'm, you know, like that, that my style has kind of defined itself yet enough. Like, you know, and, and I think, 
you know, uh, the other sort of trap that I think a lot of artists, you know, of all, you know, different genres and, and uh, mediums fall into is, you know, just looking like derivative of the stuff that they like, you mm -hmm. know? So it's like, you know, every street artist has to try and like actively not look like Banksy because it's just too easy to sort of aspire to that, right. and, you know, and wind up looking like a crappy version of Banksy, right. you know, it's just like every filmmaker these days, I'm sure is like, you know, whether it's somebody like David Fincher or it's like Christopher Nolan or, you know, in my day it was like Tarantino and things like that. And every, every sort of student film sort of was like a bad attempt at a Tarantino yeah. type of thing. Um, you know, and so I think that for me, it's like, you know, uh, finding that, that, that voice that you can find that that's, that's unique to you. Oftentimes I think those, those voices come from, the things that you're embarrassed of, you mm -hmm. know, like I said before, with like the fact that I didn't feel like I was a better illustrator, all of a sudden the, the thing that I sort of felt, you know, insecure about could become the thing that defined me. And I think that's usually where a lot of times people will say like, you know, I'm not the best at this, but, but, but somehow utilizing who I am is more unique than trying to be like Banksy, right. you know? And so I think that's the other thing too, is I think that, you know, in that, in that sort of 10,000 hours of, of, uh, of trying to find not only the ability to, to, to create the art you want to create and sort of like, you know, what's in your head actually then see it, you know, materialized. But I think you also within that time find a voice that you realize like, wow, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to look like someone else now. Now I'm just trying to get, me, I'm trying to express me in, a, in an honest and a sincere way. Yeah. You know, I think people relate to that a lot more. People are engaged by that a lot more. You know, you look at like, you know, the punk music scene and you realize like, yeah, it's not about uh, technical wizardry. Right. You know, it's about, uh, it's expression about expression and, and raw emotion and, and some sort of like, you know, genuine, intimate, sincere, you know, uh, you know, thing that people can, can relate to and, and appreciate. And I think all of a sudden you're like, wow. So, this person doesn't necessarily, you know, it can't, isn't, isn't a wizard, uh, on, on drums or whatever, but all of a sudden it's like the, the raw power behind it can somehow make up for that fact. And so right. I think that that's one thing that that's constantly sort of cycling and recycling and recycling and within, you know, the, the different art form mediums is, is, is passion somehow trumping technical ability. Um, of course that can go the other way too, where it's like, but you know, there's nothing wrong with learning how to play a guitar. Right. You know, there's nothing yeah. wrong with like, you know, in your case, like getting really good at, you know, the, the, the with the equipment that you have, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and helping it be, um, you know, something that, that, uh, and, and also I think there's, you know, there's, there's the, there's the other level of it, which is professionalism and realizing, okay, so I'm taking my technical ability. I'm taking the voice that I'm sort of learning artistically. I'm taking my skills as a, as a, you know, as a, as a person who can, can hustle and can, can, um, negotiate and can, can learn to, you know, uh, network with different people. And then there's also the thing of like, now I need to be able to like meet deadlines. Now I need to be able to like, you know, if I'm having like, for me, it's like, if I'm having a gallery show, I need to be able to like have the art there on time and right. do that. And then it's, you know, then there's the layer after that, which is now I need to like learn how to like work with people. I mm -hmm. need to get paid from that. I need to make sure that gallery person isn't ripping me off and that they're, you know, that I need to make sure that, you know, that, uh, you know, that, the, this person who I'm buying canvas from is, you know, I'm getting the best price from whatever, you know? Right, like, right, right. So it's like negotiating and, and sort of juggling all of these different sort of, you know, things. I think somewhere in there, you suddenly realize like, wow, I'm, I'm actually doing this. This is actually like, I'm an artist. I'm, uh, you know, it's not just a hobby. It's not just a, 
you know, a, a pipe dream. Yeah. You've you taken know? it to a, a level that you're comfortable with, but it also makes sense for who you are. Right. Which is what kind of happened for me. You know, when I started creating street art, I definitely had no, uh, you know, sort of uh, notion of how, how I could even, you know, monetize it, how I could turn it into something that was a business. I just started putting it up and then people started responding to it in a way that was really encouraging for me, you know, and, and, uh, pretty soon I got contacted by, um, this company called the outsiders, which was run by a guy named Steve Lazaridis, who was Banksy's manager and manages all these fantastic, uh, you know, primarily UK, but also just European artists. Um, you know, all of which were, were, uh, you know, way, way, way above sort of my, uh, pay grade or, or ability, you know, right. to sort of like, which was a really big, um, excuse me, which was a really big, uh, intimidating factor when it happened. Cause it kind of happened for me relatively quickly, especially compared to a lot of other artists, which is at times become kind of a point of contention. There would be people that were like, Oh, it kind of came too easy for Morley. He, he didn't spend 12 years creating art on the street without ever, ever being noticed. He kind of created art in like a couple of years in, he was already being, you know, courted by these, you know, this, this gallerist and this guy. And so, you know, I of course was I, I'll I'll join their ranks in saying like yeah I don't know why it was you know I think it was again you know this guy was just looking for sort of other street artists that seemed different, different. and seemed unique yeah. and so they reached out to me and they said you know would you be interested in you know working with us and you know we can make you know help you know make prints and stuff for you and 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 do, so this know, do is a gallery show he's so you're saying it's two different people it's the guy that managed Banksy and then another person. Uh, no, one this, person. the one person. Yeah. So his, his job would be to manage getting your content in galleries, manage getting your content printed and sold online. Or well, something. he actually, no, he had his own gallery. Oh. He, you know, he sort of had started as a manager and kind of became then this like guy, uh, who, you know, had a, um, galleries all over, you know, London, but also would put on these, you know, incredible shows. Um, like he did one show that was that was sort of, it became kind of known as like, he would create these things that were more events than shows. He did one that took place in like a sewer where you literally have to crawl down what? into like a, into an actual sewer, walk around and you'd see the artwork on, you know, on the walls cool. in the sewer. And so every, you know, person that would experience that they even beyond the art, they would be like, I had to crawl into a sewer, yeah. you know? And so it's like the event and the experience of that sort of, you know, um, I think, a lot of his ideas in terms of promoting in that way were, you know, uh, worked perfect with street art because so much of street art is about, you know, kind of like the environment. And it's yeah. also about the, you know, utilizing, uh, and, and sort of, uh, um, changing the way people look at the, the, the places they're in, you know, and, and the environment that they're, that they're amongst. And so, um, so yeah, so he basically, his company reached out to me and said, you know, we'd love to put you, you know, uh, to start, you know, selling some of your work and putting you into some of our galleries. And I was like, for, I, at first I was like, you're obviously joking because there's no way. Did you, you knew who this I was? I knew who he was yeah. prior to, to, to them reaching out. So the equivalent of this for uh, like an artist, uh, like a musician, is this like getting hit up by Interscope, but you... It's a little different because um, I think they're just they're di it's 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 kind of apples and oranges a little bit in yeah. terms of the comparison only because um, I don't know if necessarily he would be Interscope. It's more like maybe it's more like being if you're a band and being hit up by like Merge Records mm. or like um, 
I don't know. I'm trying to like a, a really cool indie right you now where, uh, and, and somewhat similar, like, you know, if, if they tried selling prints of my stuff and no one was interested, I think it would have kind of gone away pretty quick, right. you know? Um, but it didn't, it didn't quite. I mean, like I, I, you know, I'm not obviously as big as, as, as a lot of his, as, 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 as yeah. I'm not <laughs> quite as big as many of his artists, yeah. but, um, but I, but I, when we worked together, it seemed like we were, you know, it was, it was a good experience for, for both of us. And it was really cool. They flew me out to London and I, you know, and it was a really kind of a nice crash course because I got to meet a lot of really cool artists and they got to sort of tell me, you know, their experiences. And I got to, you know, and it was also, you know, while I was doing this, I was, you know, reading up about, you know, every artist that I could and sort of, you know, investing my, you know, as much, uh, you know, research into the scene that I was in, you know, right. Um, because again, like even when I'd started, I hadn't really thought like I'll be a fixture in the street art scene. It yeah. just really was more like, I'll put this up and maybe some people will like it. And that will be, I'll get to sort of hit the release valve of creative expression. Mm-hmm. And then I can, I can kind of keep me going until the next thing that, right. that I can kind of create. Um, so I didn't have any kind of, uh, I didn't have any, uh, 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 no goals really with, with anything to me, it was like, I, it was baffling that anybody would want to buy anything. Right. You know? And so when they initially reached out to me, I was, I was also struck with just this immense like intimidation. Cause I was like, I don't belong. My stuff is not as good as, as it doesn't even belong to be in the same, you know, roster or whatever. And, you know, one of my friends, Andrew, who, you know, uh, he said, yeah, but you know, um, you look at the comic books page, the comic page in the newspaper and you know, like the peanuts isn't necessarily the best drawn comic strip on that page, mm. but it's, it's, it's unique in its own way and it's found its own voice and people are drawn to it because of, of the creator and what the creator has, is saying through his work. And right. so even though there's better, there's more technically well-drawn comics, you know, on that page, like that doesn't mean there's not a place for peanuts, mm. you know, type of thing. And so that made me feel much better to be like, okay, so yeah, I, I, I'm not trying to be as good as like Stanley Donwood, who does all the Radiohead album covers, you know, oh, or, you know, Jamie Hewlett, who just like does the gorillas artwork. These are all the know? people that are on that roster. Yeah. yeah. Jesus oh, for sure. Christ. He's works with, with all these people, you know, God damn. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and again, I, you know, it's, it, maybe it is similar to like a record label type of situation. Yeah. Cause just because you get signed to Interscope doesn't necessarily mean that they even expect you to be on the same level as like right. other, Inter- you know, the, yeah. the, the top artists. But, you know, I definitely felt like I'm, I don't know, I don't know how I'll be able to exist in this world because, you know, I, it, it felt like, oh, I, I must be a fraud because there's no, there's no good reason for me to even be, you know, amongst these people. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, it's, it was, it was a good experience for me and it was really good learning experience and it was good to sort of, um, you know, give me, uh, a little bit of, of a, of a confidence to say, you know, to sort of stand up and say like, okay, this is my artwork for better, for worse. Some people aren't going to like it. Some people hopefully are this guy who's, who seems to have a really good taste, seems to like it enough to give it a chance. Yeah. So maybe I, maybe I can kind of trust that. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of great artists, you know, wouldn't have been able to have the ability to be great if somebody hadn't really empowered them and said like, no, trust your confidence and, and, and say, I don't mind. Um, this is going to sound 
like something Kanye West would say or something. But <laughs> like, I don't mind being great. I don't, I'm not. I'm not. Af- I'm not afraid of being great. Right. Which totally sounds like no, you but know, that's a Kanye thing. But that's how you, you need. To, uh, it's the same thing as what you're talking about being in high school. It's like you still feel like you have to have a little bit inside of you to make you feel like right. you deserve to go be in those spaces. Like yeah. that's just how it is. That's, right. Totally. If you didn't have confidence like that, then you're never going to get something out. You'll never yeah. create the first piece. You'll never take the first step. You know, what did you feel like when you first got the call? Cause obviously like with your career, it's, you know, you've been building slowly, but surely, I mean, rapidly compared to, I'm sure a lot of people would say that your, that your success has been very quick, but yeah. at the same time, you know, I imagine there probably was one or two jobs where you were probably like, Oh, am I ready for this leap? You know, um, shit. I don't know. You, I, I, this is still crazy too. going back to when you and Andrew were working on your film mm-hmm. and I won't say the name of it, but, <laughs> um, they put out a, f- a feature, which was still, this is all shit that's inspiring me back home. Cause I'm seeing <laughs> you put it, a full feature film together with people that I recognize, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like actors that are real actors and mm-hmm. shit, you know what I mean? And it was like done right. <laughs> and it was funny. And, Thanks. uh, and I remember watching that and then um, coming out to LA. It was my first time coming to LA, I think. Yeah, it was my first time coming to LA and my friend Jason lived in Long Beach. And so while I was out here, I hit you up because I knew you were out here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, if you're ever free, coffee, we planned for it. I was going to come up and you hit me up the night before and you asked me to come help you out with the little sketch that you guys were doing mm-hmm. for Funny or Die. Yeah. And so you said, come by tomorrow. We need some extra hands. I had, that was even the point where I was like, oh shit really like, just because i didn't know i've been talking about it and acting like i knew this shit and like trying to be in in that world but i just i just am a consumer i hadn't done anything so going on set and even getting there it was hilarious because you guys are shooting on like db tapes and like trying to make it look old so we didn't yeah. it didn't require like that's, that's real production that yeah. i was like huh <laughs> i'm like shit you could still make stuff i'm like what are what are they making you know until i right. see it at the end and you're like i get it but <laughs> being there and then all of a sudden you're like that's robin williams daughter and i'm like right oh shit what the and you're like this person did this and this and this and i was like wow that's really crazy that just at that time because i i hadn't seen anybody that was like famous or Mm -hmm. whatever and everyone knows robin williams sure and just to be next to her and think like man this girl um she probably has like a little vial of flubber at home somewhere and that is (laughs) like you know i mean that's the coolest (laughs) shit ever (laughs) that's so cool like and it was just a normal day and we went around and we shot and it was like gorilla style and we were popping out in front of this and this and you guys just were so passionate about it and seeing that just was like a level up for me to see that and to go home and then be able to like regurgitate that content back into what we were doing and just see that you can do all this stuff on multiple levels but i don't know maybe i don't know every time it's always just kind of nuts it must be pretty crazy though to be in some of the places that you're shooting in now and not feel like i mean i mean i I, for me it's like i always try to whenever i need a healthy dose of gratitude i always try to say is this something that the 14 year old version of me would think is tight right like and to remind myself because the 14 year old version of me wasn't necessarily always like yeah but how much money did you make yeah exactly the 14 year old version of me wasn't didn't always have the caveat of like yeah but like but did it go really viral or was it just kind of like it had it had a good run or type of thing you know there was never that kind of qualification for the 14 year old version Mm -hmm. it was always just like you know and and so for me one of the things that I do every year is, uh, you know, on my birthday, which is also like right next to the new year, which is January 4th, I always write a list of my hopes and my fears. Yeah, that was two, yesterday. 
January 4th? Oh, no, February. We're in February. Close. Damn, I was like, my fault. You've been on the road too long, man. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, related. Yeah, thank uh, you. Um, but every January 4th, I try and write a list of like, these are the things that I'm afraid will happen, and these are the things that I really want to happen. Huh. And not, and I, I don't, I'm not making lists like, you know, I want to be a millionaire or something like that. They're things that feel like practical. Um, but I also put the fears that seem practical, like, you know, like I want, you know, my friends and family to be healthy or whatever I want, you know, um, you know, I'm afraid that, uh, you know, um, all interest in, in morally will just somehow dry up and I'll just have to, you know, be like just back to doing, doing it for myself, which is not the worst thing in the world, but it's sometimes it's like, you know, Oh, if, if, if no one was paying any attention again, how would that feel? You know? And sometimes that does become like a, a thing that, that I worry about, but yeah, it makes sense. But for me, one of the big things that I do every single year when I'm writing my hopes down is I say, I want someone that I respect to, or rather someone that I admire to respect what I do, mm. you know? And so if I can find even, that can be something as small as like, Oh damn, that, that guy that who, who's, you know, I've always really liked, he retweeted something or, right. you know, you know, liked something on Instagram or, you know, um, you know, uh, like for example, in the book that I just put out, you know, I, I, uh, I reached out to, uh, to Art Alexakis, who is the, the singer from the band Everclear. Yeah. And I'd said, they wrote you know, the f- he wrote the foreword yeah. for the book. And I thought, you know, for, I thought of him because of the fact that, uh, you know, he's written a lot of songs that are sort of like quintessential California songs, mm. you know? And I thought he would be a good person to sort of write about what exactly, you know, like how my artwork can kind of like work within, um, within the, the, the sort of microcosm of California and Los Angeles specifically. And I reached out to their management. Cause I, I was like, I don't know if, he's ever seen any of my work. You know, I live in Los Angeles and it's, it's possible that he's seen something I'd done. And his management was like, you know, yeah, actually art, art likes, really likes your artwork and, and is interested in doing it. And I was like, and so knowing that like, I grew up like really just admiring him and knowing that he somehow could say like, you know, I respect what you do. That to me was so much more valuable to me than selling a $10,000 painting. Right. You know? I yeah. Mean, so you spend years, so many days right? thinking about, and $10,000 goes away like this. So fast. That memory what, won't totally, go away. Right. You know what I mean? mean? That, you know, you, people don't ever think about that. They don't realize, like, it's funny when you see, you know, um, people on reality shows and you think like, man, how did the thing that made them successful enough to get a reality show, like these, you know, what is it? Dancing with the stars or whatever. Right. And you think like, yeah, like, like how, how did, you know, why, where did the money go? And it's like, the money goes away. Yeah. You know, like people can, you know, and you don't realize it's just like a lot of these people out in Los Angeles, they're just people working on jobs and they're like, you know, like I, you know, there was a guy who was on a TV show and he was, uh, he was a waiter at at a restaurant and he was like, yeah, I mean, I just, I made a couple of, you know, uh, bad financial mistakes, but also just, just never got another shot at a big TV show again, you know? And you're like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the world of, of Los Angeles and really everywhere. I mean, but you know, so I'm kind of getting off on a, on no, a I love it. Here, I love but- it. It's, it's, I think that I, I love that. Cause I think it, I thought it was cool for me to be back home in Iowa and then to be on Instagram and see my friend from Iowa, Joni Schaefer, I'll shout her out right now. Cause I know that this was her, but I remember her posting your shit on her Instagram, <laughs> but she lived in Minnesota at this point. And I'm like, oh, wow. how do you know that? 
because I forget that things can right. be shareable on the internet. Yeah. She's like, oh my God, I love this stuff. I'm like, he's pretty much my cousin. That's crazy. She's like, what? Like, that was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's definitely been a huge thing that I hadn't, also hadn't expected is that, you know, after I started working with uh, Steve Lazaridis and the Outsiders, um, the social media stuff became much bigger. I kind of put it on there because I started an Instagram account and a Facebook account because I thought, well, this stuff gets taken down or painted over so fast that at least a photo of it can live on a little bit longer. And I didn't realize like, not only does it live, it does it extend the sort of lifespan of the piece, but also it's something that can be shareable all over the world. Yeah. Which has been great. I mean, unfortunately now I think it's a lot of, uh, people like me and, and, and anybody who's, you know, content creators have to now live in the, the post algorithm world where everything they do can be kind of swallowed up by, by, you know, whatever is, is Instagram is the, the, the whims of, of Instagram's algorithms. Um, but at the same time, I will say this on the one hand, it's really frustrating to feel like I'm not reaching the people that sort of were interested, you know, have been, have been, have been interested enough in my stuff to follow me or whatever on, yeah. on social media. And the fact that I feel like, wow, I, I can't access more than like 1% of them when I post something at the same time, it also is kind of been good to be like, yeah, post something and then kind of forget about it. Yeah. And just don't stop, you know, don't get too obsessed with the numbers. Don't get too obsessed with things. Cause it's like, you can't control some, you know, a lot of that stuff as much as you sort of try. And, and I think that, you know, those things can be really frustrating, but at the same time, it's like, maybe it's also good that I care less uh, than I, than, than I was before about how much people were, um, you know, uh, not that I ever, I didn't, I never saw myself as being like an influencer or anybody who was really trying to like, you know, yeah. to, to, to get as many people to, you know, to subscribe to my feed or whatever. But I, I will say it was always encouraging to be like, okay, these, this many people seems to be sort of listening and paying attention. And I'm going to try and sort of like get a sense. Okay. Like what, what are they responding to? What, you know, is there anything that I can sort of, you know, uh, gain from, from them and the, and the feedback I'm getting. Yeah. And I think that's, that it's definitely good and a positive thing, but at the same time, I think you can kind of get lost in trying to, trying to please everyone. It's terrible. You know? Yeah. So I see a lot of people struggle with that, especially that have had some sort of resonance and like just presence online. Yeah. E- even for me to go on tour, I see it all the time. I go on tour and the first big tour I did was, was schoolboy Q and mm-hmm. you know, some random shit with Kendrick. And then, I get off the road and I have all of his fans that have seen my shit through touring and I'm getting tagged by him and whatever. So sure. I get this direct, a lot of it is filmmakers, so people that they just mm-hmm. want to be into creating content, visuals, whatever I was doing, photography. And then as time goes on that I'm not on that tour and I'm not just posting that t- stuff I was right, doing on that right. job, I'm posting the next job. Those fans disappear. Those posts, email, and then Beyonce and Jay-Z things are even worse because it's like I have the beehive fucking all up in my thing. And right. if it's not, if I post something about this podcast, which this is funny. So this goes back to what you were just asking. Me having gone on this tour and working with them, first working with Beyonce and was like, humbling as fuck and to be able to mm-hmm. do Coachella and everything and her to tell me that she liked what I was doing was so cool and then to be on tour with them and randomly just Jay walking up to me and just be like man you're fucking up with the camera man I see you you're killing it blah blah and to be applied I'm like <sighs> so how tight, are you telling you you're telling me that I'm right? good at something like this is insane <laughs> which is funny because I wish people knew that because what he's saying is he likes what I do and so it's just as a substance of me and as a person and what I'm doing. But like if I post something that I'm doing on there and their fans that are obsessed with this content, if they don't see that it's 
them they aren't it, there's no respect that same way it, which is so yeah. funny because then that all of a sudden that post if i post this podcast i'll post a snippet on my instagram feed mm-hmm. and i guarantee you the show gets a thousand views if i post beyonce jay-z anything having to do with tour dancers any of that stuff thousands thousands and thousands of right. views it's just ridiculous because that's I just do, how it is i think it's also though there's there's certain you know and you can get kind of lost in the conspiracy of the algorithm and thinking like you know but i'm sure there's also certain things that are like oh an image of Beyonce suddenly just clicks up higher than an yeah. image of, you know, and I say that all the time too. Yeah. That's, that's why I tried to make it. And me and Dave, who is helps me out with all this black and cream shit. He, we had this conversation all the time cause he was also shooting on the road and when we would shoot, we'd share these little moments on our Instagram and, I already had like a, a larger following. So it was easier. I was just getting more, more momentum, but for him, he would post and I was very active and, play i like to play a character on my stories and just be this absurd just like whatever just whatever it is i try to be funny and just i love comedic value with instagram stories so i'm always actively on here and therefore when we'd walk into a venue me and dave may walk in and right away i'm being recognized right because they remember seeing me from the stories so then if i if i bake my face into it if you can connect it just like you you if i just see words on a on a picture it's just words on a picture, but then all of a sudden I see your hand up and you just got done writing it and your head's looking over here. Like, I know it's yours. Yeah. It sticks out to me like, oh shit, this is something I remember following on and purpose. That's, I think that's when you start getting into the idea of of, of seeing your you as a brand, yeah. which is, I think, has, has value because I think that for, you know, like what you're talking about with like putting yourself into the stories, I think it creates a human element that people connect with on a, on a, on a level that is genuine. And it's not just that like, you know, I think it's, I think of course you're funny and you, you know, but they also see you as like someone they can relate to and appreciate yeah. on a level that they're like, wow, this isn't. Cause I mean, you know, there are a lot of photographers that sort of put themselves in it, but you have such a great personality and you're so warm in those stories that I think people see themselves, you know, as being like, I'm hanging with my friend. And then it's like, wow, I'm hanging with my friend and we're shooting Beyonce and Jay. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I think that that, uh, you know, that is a wonderful thing because you're really creating a, a relationship. I always go back to uh, this documentary um, called Imagine with John Lennon. Mm. And, uh, and at one point in the documentary, uh, a homeless guy uh, sort of wanders onto his yard and he and Yoko come out. And obviously this, I'm sure that the fact that there were cameras filming sort of informs us a little bit, go, go, but, go. but you know, John Lennon talks to the guy and the guy says, you know, I want to know how you reached into my head and took out the, those songs, you know, how, how did you, how did you, you know, why were you writing these songs for me, you know, specifically? And John had to say like, well, I mean, they're, I, I, I pulled them out of my head. They're for me. And they're, you know, like I'm singing about myself and my own experiences and, you know, and my, my love for my wife and, and my child and things like that. And, uh, you know, and then he invites the guy in and they eat dinner together. Um, and obviously the guy is crazy, the, the homeless guy. Yeah. But at the same time, you understand how when you, that relationship that you can create with an artist where you feel such a strong connection to that person because you feel like they get you, right? they understand you. And, and sometimes it's, 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 it's more casual and it's more like, no, I just think they're just funny, just magnetic personalities, you know? And sometimes it's that feeling like, no, they are speaking for me. Yeah. You know, like, like they've articulated something that has felt trapped inside my head for so long and now all of a sudden I'm hearing it or seeing it expressed and it's mm-hmm. like it's like releasing it it's like opening the cage door you know or or finally it's like 
they they can they they like I feel like I'm speaking a language that only I know how to speak, and all of a sudden they've taken you know my words and they've translated into a way that everybody can understand. And now all of a sudden I understand myself better, and the world understands you know all that stuff. And so I think that like that is a that is one of the greatest things that you can create. You know, is this sense of of you know not being alone, not being you know like being understood. I think that the only dangerous part of that is when we start seeing ourselves as being just sort of brand ambassadors to yeah. who we are. And then it's like, then you start getting into that world where it's like, you know, you're the, you know, sort of influencers that are literally all they do is they, 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 their brand is them is their own existence in their life. And they're the, whatever they can kind of curate into being like, yeah, look at me at the beach hanging out, you know, and living this perfect life that everybody aspires right. to. And just, and to follow me is to feel like you're my friend and we're all living this life when they're not necessarily showing all of the struggles and, you know, and they're they're that the, the brand is sort of only works as long as it's kind of idealized. Yeah, you know? exactly. Only as long as a person is beautiful, only as mm-hmm. long as a person is, you know, and so you're not getting the, you know, the, the, the true sort of hardships of life. You're not right. sharing those things. And so I feel like that, you know, for me, I think, you know, when you start looking at every artist as being its own brand, you know, uh, on the one hand, I think there's a lot of really wonderful, uh, um, you know, uh, connections to be made with people where they can feel like, you know, and that's when, like you said earlier, when I, you know, I've gotten emails from people saying like, oh, I was thinking of committing suicide and your, you know, work sort of made me think twice. I think it's important to, you know, see the value of that and saying like, wow, what I'm doing affected that person. On the other hand, I also think it's important to sort of take that with as much humility as possible and realize like, I don't know how much I had to do with that Mm. as much as I, um, was part of the sort of magic that allowed, you know, that person to see that thing at that moment before it got, you know, pasted over or torn down or, you know, but whatever, you know, knowing that like, I can't control that person walking by or that person seeing it means that I can't take credit for it either, you know, Mm. at least not entirely, you know? So for me, it's like, I just get excited when I feel like I got to be part of the magic, you know, I got to be part of the fact that this person, you know, at the right time in their life, that some, somehow my message resonated with them, you know? And I think that, you know, so again, I'm kind of all over the place, but I do think that, you know, every artist should see the value of creating uh, artwork and, and having themselves be a part of that artwork and having themselves be an integral sort of part of what they're doing so that people feel that connection. Yeah. Because so much, especially in life is, you know, the, these connections that we have are, are so hard, you know, friendships are hard to maintain because we're so busy all the time. And, you know, the digital world, it gives you that false sense of connection, you know, like, Oh, I've, you know, I know what my friend on Facebook is doing. It's like, but have you had a conversation with him in right. the last five years? Or he, do you just know when their birthday is because it alerts you, you yeah. know, type of thing, you know? So I think that having any kind of, you know, relationship that can, can feel deeper and more intimate on a personal level, I think is really important. And I think a lot of times people look to things that, you know, like the, the art they consume for a lot of those connections. Um, and I think that that's great, but I think also at the same time, you know, we do need to be aware of, uh, you know, creating, seeing ourselves only as an extension of what people are seeing. And then all of a sudden these things that are supposed to be, you know, uh, honest expressions are actually curated expressions because we, we don't want to look uncool. We don't right. want people to see us looking, you know, like uh, unsuccessful. We don't want to see that like, 
you know, you're on tour, but then there's chunks of times when you're not on tour and when mm-hmm. you're like, when's the next job going to come, you know, and that kind of a thing and those frustrating moments. But it's like those frustrating moments though, someone knowing that, that those exist means that they'll feel like, great. So it's, it's hard for everybody. And I don't have to feel like I'm a failure because I'm, because I didn't just go from one job to the next job, to right. the next job, to the next job, you know? So we were just talking about this with, um, my fucking car is, I mean, I've had that thing since I was in like high school. So that thing's about, it died pretty much. Sure. Yeah. It gets Lauren to the gym and back without (laughs) overheating. And it's good. But that happened while I was on tour. So I'm like, shit, I need to get a new car. I get back here. And when I'm in Hollywood, I don't, I just ride my electric skateboard everywhere. So I never need a car. And now that we're moving out to like Woodland Hills, I need to get a car. So I started looking, I'm like, damn, what do I want? And then I start thinking like, oh, I have to have a car. Like I need something that's going to last me a while. But then I'm also thinking, damn, we're trying to work with these big brands. And when we take these meetings, do I want to be pulling up in something? So do I need to lease a car? Do I need to be spending five, $600 a month just to get a fucking, whatever it's going to be, something that looks nice and new in 2019. And, and I remember it going back to like this lady, I was on this job. I did a drone video for uh, mm-hmm. Loctite, which is one of the funniest drone videos I've ever had to do just cause I'm like Loctite, what the fuck the glue. And um, anyway, we're driving and I was riding with the person that hired me, producer maybe, I don't remember what her role is. But she was talking to the other guy and they were like, yeah, so do you still have this car? And she's like, oh, I have this old piece of shit car and what'd you get? And he's like, well, I got this car because you know you are, what, you are what you drive in LA. And I'm like, you are what you drive in LA. And then I'm thinking like, damn, that's kind of true and I could understand that where to the extent, and this has been my argument because I'm trying to debate, do I get this lease where you could still get like a decent for like a couple hundred right. bucks? And then my mom just totally turned my book around and told me like, don't lease car, David Ramsey sure, or yeah. whatever. Listen to this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but anyway, it came down to like, do I spend money to have something that's like that? So when I do happen to go to the meeting where I pull up at the same time the client gets there, my theory is like, I do want to have something that looks like I get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars right, for jobs yeah. all the time and can handle that because that's what we're trying to pitch them on. Right. But if I show up in like an old shitty, whatever my car is, I don't have time to tell them, I don't care about my car. I put all my money into my ideas and my gear. And I, that's what I do. I, I invest in myself outside of a vehicle. Like I, I, don't, I don't have time to pitch that to them. Right. And that shit becomes a struggle. So you really start thinking totally. about it. I just talked about that on my story. So I was like, Hey yeah. guys, what do I do? I don't know how to, what no, do I it's, it's a challenge too. And you know, it's funny because like people the, there's, there's so such a, a small quantification of value mm. in the sense that like, you know, it's, it's the same thing. I think when you start, um, you know, it's funny. Cause like, I remember I did an art show once and a guy, you know, saw my, the prices for my art and he said, you shouldn't, you shouldn't charge that much. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, I, I, I kind of arrive at those prices with, you know, not only sort of looking at what other, you know, sort of at the scene that I'm in, but also in my experience, I, you know, arrived at those prices because that the guys at the outsiders sort of helped me figure that out. And also I'm working with the galleries and figuring out prices with them. He's like, yeah, but you can always just make more. You should just sell it for like nothing. And I was kind of like, I don't really have time to explain to you that, that, you know, art has a sort of, uh, you know, a variable cost and, and you know, but <laughs> I but, like this guy, <laughs> but it was a little bit, it was like, you know, I was like, I kind of understood, but, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's, but you, we as artists have to create value for ourselves. You know, we have to decide, okay, this is what I'm going to say my value is. And so even though like, especially I think coming from Iowa, guys like you and I, there's, there is that moment sort of like, like when you, you know, like I'm sure for you when someone says like, okay, how much, you know, would you need for, to do this job? You have to be the person that says, okay, do I, 
do I pitch high? Do mm-hmm. I pitch low? Like, you know, and there's, I think there's a sort of blue collar mentality of like, I should, I, I shouldn't pitch high. That, that's, that would make me seem like who the hell am I to try and make that much you money? You always do job? that. Like, why the fuck do we right. do that? I should, yeah. I, we just did, I just told you about the morning roast mm-hmm. episodes. Tomorrow is Wednesday, right? Yep. Tomorrow, the episode's called Say Yes Until You Can Say No. Mm-hmm. And that was like my entire mentality coming out here. I'm sure every, almost yeah, any creator sure. that's kind of gotten anywhere, you think of that because you have to say yes to all these shitty deals and bad rates and mm-hmm. all these things that you have to just go through it till you learn. You kind of, okay, cool. And you did what you did where you start sizing up other people right. you see and you can kind of collect that idea of what it is, but it's also just your value of like, what if you have to make a living off this, like I don't clock in every day. Yeah. I don't have someone giving me my insurance. I don't have someone doing my five, you know, all these things that add up. So you have to say like, this is how much this costs. And then I don't know why we always feel like, I feel bad when I give someone an an estimate like here, but then that's, that's what I've just learned to say is like, I put it out there now at this point. And if they say no, I'm okay to take the L on that and just be like, I'd rather remove my finances around to find a way to be living cheaper so that I don't, have to take that job at right. that rate and be known as, Oh, yeah. I can do this. And the truth is that people will never pay you more until you tell, until you make them, yeah. you know, like, you know, it's funny. I, I, I've, I've met more than a few people that are like interns or PAs and stuff like that. And, you know, it's not only money, it's also just with how you're treated too. You know, like I had this horrible experience, but it's, it's, it's funny, but so this guy, I, a long time ago, I was, I was working as a, my day job was, I was cutting casting for a reality TV show. Right. And, uh, and so I was working from home and, and I got a call uh, from these people that are like, we just, we want you to edit this thing, um, that, uh, that, that we need, you know, tomorrow by the, by noon or whatever, it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, okay, well drop the tapes off in the morning and I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can and get it to you. She's like, we want to get you the tapes tonight. I was like, I mean, I'm not going to edit it tonight. I'll edit it tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. It's too late to start tonight. And she's like, that's fine. But we just, we want you to have them right away. And I was like, okay. And then, so like 1130 or whatever, some poor PA drives over and is like pajamas. And he's like, here's the tapes. And I was like, I'm so sorry, man. I, I want you to know, I, I didn't say I wanted these tapes tonight. I, I, you know, and, and the person was like, yeah, the woman that, you know, the, the, my boss, she just, she was like, no, you got to do this. And I was like, she was like, I, I was, you know, I was asleep when, you know, and my one night off or whatever type of thing. And I was like, well, you know, you can tell her like, I'm sorry, but this is not something I'm willing to do, you know, like just do it professionally and say like, I'm so sorry, but just, you know, like once I'm like, once I leave the office, I kind of am done. You labor know, laws, <laughs> something like that. I was just like, you know, yeah. because if you never say that stuff, she will just cre- keep treating you yeah. like shit, you know, and you'll just keep having to like, you know, swallow whatever, you know, her, her whim. And so the next day, um, I, you know, call up the people. And I'm like, so I'm done. You know, if you want to uh, send the PA back over and pick up the tapes, you know, whatever. <laughs> he's like, like oh, not. he's been fired. And I was like, what? And he was like, oh yeah, yeah. Last night he was like saying like, yeah, I'm sorry, but I actually, I need to like, you know, sort of draw a line and say, this is when I can no longer work, you know? And I was, I was like, who do you think you are? You're fired. And I was like, oh no. And I realized I got that poor guy oh, fired shit. by saying like, stand up for yourself a little bit. But I do think though that like, oh, it's damn. amazing when artists, you know, especially like musicians or whatever, or, you know, I've just met a lot of people who have been like, you know, um, 
they'll 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 be like i'm putting this out i feel so weird asking people to buy it you know like online or whatever and i'm like don't feel that way no. like embrace it say i am worth selling something i am worth having someone say i'm going to pay for this now the truth of it is i think like obviously there's a there's a, an exaggerated version where if you you know if you said to a client like oh you know i want to you know they want an estimate and you're like a million dollars for a week of work and they'll be like well we can't afford that obviously that's crazy but generally you find if you're if you're a, if you have a practical idea of what the industry you know sort of going rate is you find pretty quickly okay this is what i can do you know right. And for me, as far as with artwork, you know, there's been kind of, there's sort of two different ways of looking at it. There's the people that can say, I want to sell uh, one painting for $5,000 or they can sell, uh, or they, or they can say, I want to sell, you know, 500 prints for a hundred dollars, you know? Yeah. And obviously both ways you're selling, you're getting $5,000. But for me, it's like, I would rather sell a hundred prints for cheaper and know that, uh, that I'm going to, you know, that, that, that many more people are going to have my artwork than, than, you know, make the $5,000, right. you know, and there's just different kinds of art artists. And, and so you sort of follow different business plans with that as far mm. as like someone like Shepard Ferry who does like the obey and the, you know, and stuff like that, you know, he's not going to sell stuff in a gallery at the same price, uh, as an artist who, who doesn't create prints or doesn't create, you know, who doesn't do he, he you know, he creates stuff that's sort of, lowers his own value, but he does it in a way that sort of makes more money for him because he's selling a lot more prints that are cheaply and cheap and right. affordable, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of a side alleyway of this no, conversation, but you know, um, but I do think the point I was trying to get with was just, uh, how important it is for artists, especially artists that, that are the people that are deciding, you know, creatives, you know, you have to be the first person that dictates what your value is. Cause no one else is going to, to say, you know what? I know that you said you can do this for this much, but I'm going to give you more. It's right. like, that's not going to happen, Ever. you know? So, so, you know, be practical, but also, you know, be confident in, in the sense that like you are the, the first person that's, that this, uh, that dictates whether you're a professional or not. Yep. It, even when we would go back to like making music and we'd book shows and we'd try to play our shows for people and I, I would tell people to come out, we'd promote it and then people would go to buy a ticket or try to buy our merch. And if I was the one selling it, I'd be like, man, I don't want to sell you. Like, just take this shirt. Like, I just appreciate mm -hmm. you fucking with me. Like, it would cost us five bucks. Yeah. Like, you want to give me $5 and just cover the cost? Like, we, I never wanted to like make money off people. I just couldn't. I learned that actually back in Iowa when I started doing Google photography mm -hmm. and I started uh, doing the virtual tour for Google Maps. Cool. So I started doing that and I had to learn real quick. I, I just thought the tech would sell itself. I had to learn how to sell and going in then I started like learning how to talk to clients and be like, oh, this is how much this costs and this is why it costs that much money and then people, okay, cool. And they'd start writing checks and I'd be like, oh, cool. I just have to make validate why and right. we try to teach that too with this. It's like you have to at some point put your foot down but you, mm -hmm. have to, you also have to make sure that you're able to provide quality. Like yeah. once you've learned and you've done yeah. all the training you can, obviously we're still learning but there's a certain point where you can put your foot down and, and show the value. My dad always says it. It's like don't sell yourself short and mm -hmm. so that's super true. You don't yeah. ever want to and you also need to look at salaries. Like I always just tell people like what salary would you want to make? Everyone asks me about touring. Like how, how much do you get? I'm like well tell you the truth artists never pay good money for mm -hmm. touring like you're not going there to make like the money you know what i mean right. it would, even though a lot of people think it is once you get to beyonce and jay-z it's a little bit better sure. but it's not like life-changing like yeah. i won a million dollars type scenario but 
I always tell people like try to fight for like your salary. Like just think about obvious shit. Don't just pull a trigger and say like, I'll do it for a thousand dollars a week. Mm-hmm. I'll do it for $500 a week. Like how much is your rent? Like how yeah. much does your everything else cost? Like totally. you just have to think of these things. But I know a lot of people struggle with that. And I hate that we, I, I feel like as creatives, like selling our art, have to feel like that because I don't walk into I, uh, any store and look at it fucking brand new iPhone and be like, right. Yeah. Why are they, so, you know what I mean? I, I don't care. It's, yeah, and I'll, that's, it's funny. Cause that's exactly what I thought of when that guy said, but you can just make a bunch. I'm like, Samsung can make a bunch of more flat screen TVs and it costs them a penny. But it's like at the same time, they've decided this is the value of our product. This is how much, if you don't want to buy it, that's completely on you. Don't buy it. I think that there are, you know, there are ways of figuring things out. I think that like, you know, you can have a sliding scale and say, you know, um, like, you know, in, in your case, you could say like, okay, well, but here's a, a, um, something I really care about a cause that really means something to me. So I'm going to like skew my day rate for this because right. of the fact that I can, that I'm going to, I want to try and help this organization or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, for me, it's like, you know, Oh, uh, you know, this, the women's shelter is trying to raise money. Yes. Take a painting, sell it for as much as you can and keep all of the money and put it into to right. the shelter or whatever, you know? Um, you know, uh, and for me, it's also like, I try to always have some sort of, uh, something. If someone wants to buy something for me, you know, that's great. I buy a pack of stickers, you know, that's, it costs any, almost anybody can afford something, you know? Right. So I, I always try to have like, you know, mini posters or prints or stickers or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, but at the same time, know that like the, if, if someone who can afford it wants to spend, five, $10,000 on, on a giant piece of art or whatever, like make I'll do it. it. Yes. Yeah, say, you know, like there's no reason to say no to that you know, be like, yeah, you sure you don't want something cheaper? Yeah. And everything. So, yeah. So I think it's finding that middle ground, finding a way to, to feel good about whatever your sort of business plan is figuring out a way, you know, people always say like, you know, what is selling out? And to me, it's selling out is, is, it's, it's not, there's nothing selling out unless you're abandoning your convictions. You know, like people say like, did Shepard Ferry sell out because he has a clothing line that's sold in like urban outfitters and stuff like that. And to me, it's like only if he ever thought to himself, I'll never have a clothing right. line. You know what I yeah. mean? Like only, it's only selling out if you're saying like, wow, when I started this, I never would have done this. But, but somehow I wound up being okay with it, you know, and even, and if you can't sort of, and maybe, that, maybe that came through a justification that was, that was sincere because you, you have, you, you, you've educated yourself on things, you know, but at the same time, like, like for me, one of the things that was really a challenge was, you know, I grown up and, and have been straight edge for, you know, since I was in young, a young guy in high school. You still are? Still am, yeah. Oh shit, yeah. Uh, and uh, so I, I mean, it's not my my straight edge, uh, you know, sort of lifestyle isn't isn't as much now about like purity or anything like that as much as it's just like I'm I'm happier of, and yeah. just feel fine with you know like I, I don't know why I would necessarily pick up a habit if I didn't you know have to but there's not you know I'm not like uh, there's no there's not necessarily a sense of superiority or something against people who anybody you know my wife drinks and all that right. stuff um, but. So I was approached by uh, Smirnoff Vodka to do a campaign with them. And um, I actually had been, you know, nervous about it because I was like, I don't drink. Uh, it's also very brandy, you know, like yeah. the, this, not, not brandy, the musician. The, <laughs> she's, she's, she's great. In she's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much like brandy, you know, yeah. the boy is mine with Robin. Uh, now, um, 
she, it, it was, it was, it just felt like, is this selling out to work with such a corporate organization? Right. And when they came to me, they said, you know, we just want to create art that is something, a, a series of, of posters that are um, interactive in some way and talk about inclusivity. And the reason for that was because they're like, the brand wants to sort of show themselves as being inclusive because that's what millennials are all about right now is inclusivity. Okay. Which I think is, you know, obviously uh, sort of like, uh, a little cheesy to be like, you know, right. like, okay, I, I guess I'll make your brand look more inclusive. But at the same time, I was like, okay, I get it. Let's, how can I try and make that, that idea something that isn't crappy? And so that, so they said, you know, uh, what, what can you do? And so I said, well, here's my idea. I'm going to go out, I'm going to interview people, real people, uh, record these interviews and I'm going to, um, I'm going to use their interviews to inspire messages that will be on the front of these posters. And then at the bottom, it says, if you want to hear the story that inspired this message, go to this link and they can then go to it and they can hear the person actually talk and say their story. And they're like, great. Uh, who would you talk to? And I said, uh, a dancer, um, a person who's, you know, a waiter, a person who's, you know, transgender, a person who's, you know, um, you know, any, any of these different things. And they said, that's great. We love it. Can they all be immigrants? And I was like, well, oh, <laughs> I, I had no, I, I was excited by the idea, but yeah. I was also like, how am I going to find yeah, all those? Like now I have to find an immigrant transgender person. Like yeah. that's going to be a challenge. But I was like, you know what? That's that's okay. Let's do it. Because to me, I was like the idea of being able to give that person an, a, a literal voice to, to tell their story so that all of a sudden it wasn't just a story of like immigrants or just this idea that are being thrown around. It's funny. Cause right now we're recording this and it's during the state of the union. Yeah. And obviously like, so it's such a hot button issue, the idea of immigration, especially legal immigration. And you know, uh, to me, to, for me to have the ability to use, my art to give voice to these people to be able to tell their stories and, and be human beings and not just, you know, sort of a political volleyball that gets, you know, knocked back and forth. I thought that's got real value to it. Right. And that's something that can be, uh, that can, that can, that can go beyond sort of like, am I selling out to give these people the chance and not only give them the chance, but also have a kind of a major, huge brand, um, help you know empower that and, right. and and put those posters up finally i'm not just putting these up you know myself these are posters that were like plastered all over the city by smirnoff vodka who yeah, has so pretty cool. deep pockets you know yeah. so that was a really cool way of being able to work with a brand and i mean th the only caveat that they had at all was like can we put a little tiny drawing of a you know like the smirnoff logo in the corner and i was like fine you know <laughs> I get it. You're, yeah. you, know, you, you know, you've got certain, certain parameters you need, but other than that, I was shocked with how much freedom they gave me. And so then, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's so, so in line with like who you are, you know, well, thanks. You you know, so that, that, that was an experience and, you know, and it's, and it's, it was, and I think that each, you know, time that, you know, that especially if we have convictions about like, you know, clients that we work with and different people and things of that nature, you know, I think that, you know, being able to assess and say, okay, what's, you know, not only, uh, um, is this going to help me, you know, in some way, shape or form, you know, practically financially, whatever, uh, is this also going to be something that I can feel proud of in terms of like, you know, the work that I've done, um, you know, and then also just then the sort of the, the math of saying is the, is the juice worth the squeeze, right. you know, like is, is the amount of work I'm going to put into this going to be something that I'll feel like it was, you know, uh, worth it. Yeah. And so that's awesome. That's, I mean, and you, 
try to think of like, how do you partner with brands? It makes sense to approach it that way. Well, especially when you're, when what I do as an artist has so much tied with integrity in mm-hmm. the sense that like, you know, uh, people want to believe that street artists are beyond the same needs, uh, than, than your standard artists. And that that's why that they, they give their art away for free. You right. know, no one wants to think that Banksy actually has to pay his rent. They think right. like he's fine just doing whatever he does and is just being this sort of Robin hood, you know, yeah. type idea. But at the end of the day, it's like every artist needs to, you know, if they want to support themselves as an artist, they need to be, you know, find ways of doing that without, um, you know, losing their integrity and their convictions, yeah. but also I think losing the idea of their integrity, which gets, goes back to the sort of branding notion of like, no one wants, no, I mean, like at the end of the day, it's like, as much as I strive for honesty, if no one thought what I was doing was quote unquote cool, it, it would, it the value of it would sink pretty quick. Hmm. You know what I mean? Cause people need to feel like, you know, what you're doing is cool to yeah, some absolutely. degree, especially as a street artist, which can be, you know, yeah. frustrating sometimes as well, because it's like, sometimes I just want to be uncool. Sometimes yeah, exactly. I just want to be, you know, like my uncool self. You right. know? So again, it's sort of finding that, that, that middle ground of like, okay, this can, you know, be something that's honest and real and people can relate to it. But at the same time, it still feels like it has an integrity and is, and isn't just like, you know, uh, you know, the, the sort of puppet for a brand or whatever, right. or just like anybody else in the street that's, mm. you know. So then what, what's on a day to day, how do you, how do you manage? Cause there's Morley mm-hmm. and then Morley who's a real person. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's Morley on paper and then there's mm-hmm. you as a real person who has a family and everything sure. and, and you work and do things that normal people do. How do you balance? Like how, what is a day like for you? How, how the fuck can you go? Cause I can go pull up in Venice or something and all of a sudden I'm walking, I look over and there's a Morley piece. <laughs> I'm just like, Oh shit, <laughs> that's crazy. You yeah. cover a lot of ground in LA. I try to, I mean, because you know, for me the, the, the hope is, is finding different environments to, to, to sort of work within, you know, like if I just kept, you know, not only the environment, but also the the communities that are around them. If I just kept creating art for the same kind of group of people, then it starts starts to get sort of vaguely masturbatory and sort of like, you know, um, it's funny because I was actually, I created a piece very close to here. Um, and while I was creating it, someone walked up to me and they said, you know, hey, um, did you know that there's a, 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 a house called the way in that's like two blocks from here. That's for, you know, at risk um, people that are like runaways for them to be able to come and, and, uh, and get on their feet and sort of like, you know, find themselves. And I was like, yeah, I did know that there was a, that there was that I actually created a big piece for, for the, you know, for their, uh, a big mural in their hallway. Um, and he said, Oh, cause I was going to say like, sometimes I see your pieces and I feel like it's sort of tone deaf because you know, like, I don't know if this would, you know, if this, if those, if those kids are going to get anything from like a piece about, you know, Instagram or something like that. And I said, well, I mean, it's just still East Hollywood too, you know, like there's a lot of people that are, you know, like I, you know, not every piece is going to, you know, vibe with every person that walks by, you know, obviously I try to be somewhat aware of the, of the community that I'm going to be, you know, creating artwork for, um, you know, because obviously you, you want to start speaking to the sort of the community as a whole, but you also can't know every single person. I mean, just go stand like over on the corner of like, right? what, like one street and just watch the people that walk by. It's everyone, it's everyone. on earth. Yeah, for sure. Here. For sure. 
but so, you know, I try my best to sort of like get as far and as wide as I can to create artwork, you know, for, for the different communities and what, you know, the stuff that they'll relate to hopefully. And that, I mean, means that I'm, I'm only going to have, I can have a cursory understanding of what kind of a community Venice is. Mm -hmm. I can have a cursory understanding of what kind of community Silver Lake is, or, you know, Marina Del Rey, or, um, you know, even when I go beyond Los Angeles and I'll, I'll travel to different States and countries, you know, um, you know, I went to, uh, I went to Nicaragua, for example, yeah. and that required me to, um, not only get a, you know, translate my stuff, especially trying to translate it into their specific form of Spanish, but also, you know, educate myself a little bit to, I mean, as much as I can to their community and the stuff that they sort of actually deal with in, in a real way right. and the history of that, you know, and, and the kind of stuff that, that um, whether it's the the sort of political landscape or whether it's just the sort of um, you know economic landscape, whatever, like understanding the the people I'm I'm talking to, you know, because there's a certain kind of arrogance of going in and just and, being, and just like, being like whatever I'm saying, I'm sure someone will relate to this, you know, <laughs> yeah. type of thing. Yeah, um, you know, and so it's it's funny because one time I went I went to um, to Michigan. And uh, Detroit is sort of right now known for being like this great hub because there's so many sort of like old kind of dilapidated structures and places to create street art. And that's true. I, I went there and there was fantastic street art, but I also got the sense that people were starting to get tired of like, oh, all these artists come to town and just kind of like treat us like we're a, you know, a, a blank up, canvas. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, and they sort of look like, like they just being like, you're welcome. And then they leave type of thing. And I sort of realized like, wow, I, I get why that would be annoying and yeah, why that would be sure. frustrating. And so, you know, um, I try and sort of understand that with, with any kind of community that I go to to sort of like arrive with respect and an understanding of like, you know, the, the sort of, um, this, the, the political, uh, not in the sense of like, you know, Republican Democrat, but the poli the politics of any place of just the sort of local, you know, um, vibe that the city has yeah. and the people that are there and what they're sort of struggling with and what they're sort of like, you know, who they kind of are and the identity of that community and sort of like creating art that, that feels aligned with that identity. To are, some you, are you doing the research on the place that you plan to go? Are how much of it is like you're creating pieces and you're going and looking for places that make sense for that piece? Or are you, maybe you're having coffee somewhere with a friend and you look up and you realize like, Oh, this idea that I've had would work perfectly right here. Well, in Los Angeles it's kind of second nature, you know, because you kind of just living here, get a sense of, of the areas, you yeah. know, and then the people that live in those areas. But when I'm traveling to different places, I do try to sort of get, you know, I talk to friends that I know are from there or I, you know, will, you know, just read about like it from their, their local, you know, newspapers, websites and like get a sense of like, okay, this is the kind of thing, you know, generally I'm going to a place where it's, you know, you know, in like the case of like Detroit, the, the, the history kind of is the recent history sort of speaks for itself. People yeah. kind of have a general sense of it. And I sort of just kind of try to dig in a little bit um, to that. As far as Los Angeles goes though. And for the most part, I'm, you know, I would say 80% of the time I'm driving around and finding a good spot. And right. then I sort of can go into the back of my, you know, my car and say, okay, what poster works well with this? Because mm -hmm. the temporary nature of something like a spot's not going to last that long, no matter what someone's going to get it or just someone's going to, you know, put a fence over it pretty quick. You right. know? So, uh, so I don't really like, I would say it's only about 20% of the time. Do I see a spot as I'm driving? Think, 
this would be good for this type of, yeah. of, of a message. And then I go home, create it and come back to it. Cause oftentimes by the time I get back to it, it's, it's not what thing. it was, you know? Yeah. Or something like that. So, yeah. Hmm. So what have, what has been some of like the developments with, you know, becoming, having more notoriety and, you know, being invited by places, like you said, like that children's home mm-hmm. or, or just even to be able to go plaster something up on the side of a business that actually asks you to do that. Right. You know, how's, how's the transition from that? Because I'm sure you've had plenty of run-ins where people are like shooing you away <laughs> sure. or maybe, I don't know, like you yeah. said, cops come up or something. Mm-hmm. What, you know, how do you, how, how do you go about getting people to be interested in the idea of you like coming and putting something on their property? Well, I don't, I never ask, you know, there've been times where, um, you know, I've been offered, uh, certain people will reach out to me through, you know, online or whatever. And they'll say like, Hey, uh, you know, if you, you know, and sometimes I'm sort of like, Oh, thanks, but no thanks. Cause I can tell it's a business that's just wants me to put something that like, Oh yeah. You know, cool looking. <laughs> and then they're like, great free art. And then, and make sure that you tell everybody to come to my business to see your art. And while they're here, they can buy, you know, right. some running shoes yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And in those types of situations, I'm kind of like, eh, that's not really what I want to do. I don't really just want to be in the you know business of giving away free art, but, but do you get commission to ever do stuff like that? I am from time to time for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and when that happens, it's, you know, uh, it's great. I mean, I, you know, uh, it depends on the situation. If they're saying like, Hey, I have a wall, you can do whatever, whatever you want with it. Um, and I'll say, great. Um, can you cover any of the materials? Because I mean, just straight up, like the bare minimum is usually like, can you pay for a can of paint? You yeah. know, can you pay for yeah, you know uh, the, the paste to put on the wall or whatever type of thing? Um, you know, but sometimes it's just like, Hey, I have a, you know, a boarded up fence, Um, you know, I know people are going to start tagging this thing. If you want to just put some artwork up, then you can kind of just put like, for example, there's a building on, um, Hyperion and Udell, which is in Silver Lake. And while I was, I'd, I'd sort of noticed this spot that kind of had, had been taken over by advertisements. It was like a boarded up, like uh, a wall and, 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 people put ads over it and I could kind of tell like, this isn't like a wall that was intending to have ads on it. Like right. it wasn't an ad space that had been sold to these people. People right. were just putting fly, fly paper ads up there. And so then I would, I put up a piece of art and, uh, and it didn't, no one took it down and then advertisers didn't put their ads over it. And so then, um, you know, a couple of weeks later, like it sort of naturally it started falling down. So I put a new piece up and then like by the fourth time that that happened, where I just putting a new piece up, finally some guy sort of stops me and says, you know, I own this building. And at first I was like thinking like, should I run right now? Yeah. Because he might just try and grab my arm and like handcuff me or something. But, um, but he said, I actually am so glad that you do this because I like it so much more than the ads. And I was, and he said, anytime you want to put something up here, you, you totally can. And so now it's kind of been the, one of the few spots in Los Angeles where I kind of know this is my spot. Yeah, you know? that's and, cool. And, and in that specific case, it was, it was a, a organic type of thing where I didn't ask, but you know, I think that if you, as, as a street artist, if you, you know, kind of use some at least small degree of, of understanding that like, okay, how much am I going to bum this building owner out? You know, like whenever I like, for example, find a boarded up building, I just put stuff on the boards because as soon as they, you know, take the boards down, they, there's no damage done to the building. They right. can sell the building and it's just fine. You know, and there's just a piece of wood that's covering a window. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's the, that's my ideal situation. I like that. Not only because the, you know, usually window frames like are sort of beautiful framing to a piece of art anyway. Um, but also obviously like whatever the colors of the building, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, you know, kind of can, can really make a new layer to the artwork. Um, 
but yeah, so sometimes it's, it's as simple as, as a, you know, a, a business saying, I want a piece of art in my restaurant and I'll say, great, this is what I generally charge for a commission. And they will say, great. And we'll pay it. Cool. Sometimes it'll be, you know, more organic and I'll just be like, I just put up some piece of artwork, you know, and they, you know, don't stop me type of a thing. Right. But I would say 99.9% of the time I'm just putting up a piece of art without any kind of permission. And, uh, and that's, hoping okay. for the best yeah, yeah so send <laughs> exactly <it. laughs> um the process of like going in and, and creating your merch too like how did you know how much are you fulfilling your merch is that like something that you're actively trying to create new pieces that are always out are you is it just strictly posters are you and stickers like you said or are you ever doing t-shirts and things like that yeah it's it's funny because that's oh wait a- i have one of your shirts i had the suicide prevention one lauren oh, nice. got me that yeah very cool Lauren's probably your biggest uh buyer she's great <laughs> yeah Love she gets her. all my stuff yeah uh she yeah she's great um i uh that's been an interesting experience for me is just slowly kind of i've taken you know I've waded into the world of, of merchandise and business, you know, in that regard, uh, slowly and surely. And, and it was really great to have people like Steve and, uh, Lazarides and the outsiders help me sort of get started with that. Um, I've kind of gotten, it, it's become more important to me to have as much control over it myself as I possibly can in sure. terms of like understanding, like, you know, if it's, if it's posters, you know, like finding the place where I can get a good price, but also a high quality piece of, you know, work and that kind of yeah. thing. And, and that's just been like a hit or miss type of thing. I probably have made every mistake known to man as far as like, you know, making something that, you know, a, a piece of merchandise that someone would want to buy, you right. know? And it's figuring out like, oh, you know, like t-shirts are really tough because like people might want them, but to get t-shirts and you have to buy them in every size and you have to have, you know, like, and what happens if you sell out of mediums? It now sucks. you need a bunch of mediums, yeah. you know, and things like that. And, I, and, I, and a lot of these things I'd also learned from when I had abandoned high school and, right. and you sort of fa- find things like that out. Like, you know, like, like, okay, how can I mass produce CDs? What is the cheapest way of making a CD that people can buy? And like, you know, all that stuff. And it's, and it can be fun sometimes. And it can be a huge drag other times being like, wow, it's like, I love when someone in Germany wants to buy a poster of mine. I love that. But I hate sending and, and, and them saying like, okay, so now I have to spend, I'm buying a $20 poster, $30. spending $30 yeah. on shipping. And, it's like, and then to be like, and then they, you know, I get a picture, you know, um, uh, three weeks later from them saying like, Hey, it arrived like this and it's all smashed up. Uh, and I want to be like, great. Well, I mean, it was a $20 poster. So I would, you know, like I didn't bother insuring it, you know, like, I mean, things right. like that. And you're just like, now I have to send another poster. So now I'm actually yeah. losing money because I'm sending another poster to make up for the poster that came that was just destroyed by the, right. you know, and then like, so in terms of like, you know, t-shirts, I, I work with a company called designed by humans and they print to order. So mm-hmm. they take a, a pretty big chunk of every, you know, sale, but it's like, knowing that like if someone wants a medium of this t-shirt they can they order it that way it. Yeah, they take yeah. care of it and it's done although even that can be frustrating because then you get people saying like hey i ordered through design by humans and i didn't really like what they did to this yeah. I'm like i'm not in charge of that right. stuff i don't do quality control of like you know oh i'm sorry that the, it shrunk in the wash or right. whatever type of thing and people do sometimes expect you to have like 100 percent like I'm somehow like, and I'm like, dude, I am just an artist trying to get by. Like I can't, not everything, you know, like I'm sorry that, you know, that you, you know, bought a piece through a gallery and the gallery sent something, you know, later than you had wanted it or something like that. Like, like the gallery sent it, like it's it's not, not, you know, at a certain point it's not on me, you know, same thing with like the, you know, like the books, it's like at a certain point I can't, uh, I can't, 
as much as I want everybody who orders their book to get it on time. Sometimes it, you know, it'll arrive yeah, late because the publisher totally. or whatever, you know, so merch is, it's tough, but I mean, at the same time, it's something that can fuel what you're trying to do a little totally. bit farther and, yeah. and allow you, if pe- people understand that that could be your source of income mm-hmm. to be able to allow you to create more of what they like, mm-hmm. I think that they can get behind it. But I know merch is always like, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause like, like with artwork too, like I, um, I sold a piece online and once and I, uh, you know, the whole thing was okay. So they agreed to the price for this and I'm like, okay, great. Um, it's going to cost this much to ship it. Uh, you know, so I, t- I take it to the, to the, you know, the shipping place and say, I need a quote on how much it's going to cost to ship it. I'm standing there. They give me the quote. I, you know, email the person who's buying the piece saying, great. So, uh, this is how much it's going to cost to ship. So just, uh, you know, include that PayPal me that plus the amount that you agreed to, to pay for the piece. Um, and, uh, and I'll ship it off to you. And they write back, great. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking like, so do I go home now with this piece or do I just ship it, ship it, you know? And like it's in, and yeah, you'll get paid back. (laughs) And of course what happens, I do ship it. And of course I don't get paid. The guy won't respond any to anything. Won't, you know, like, like, you know, I, I'm starting like weeks pass and I'm like, dude, I know you have the piece. I, I, I have the, the, you know, and, and he's, you know, and then, and then I start seeing him like posting on like, you know, him hanging it on his wall. And I'm like, you never paid me. Yeah. So then he blocks me on Instagram or whatever. Wow. And I start writing his like family saying, Hey, just so you know, your son or whatever, like, like, yeah, so didn't, shitty. didn't pay for this. And like I was, and, and, and then they would block me or, and I was just like, this as much as as enraging as that was, I was like because especially because it's like I'm glad you're that you enjoy the the you know the positive message that I you know yeah. that, that I painted on this and you get to have it in your house knowing that you like actively stole it from me, you know. But then I thought, okay, this is a lesson for me though. I need to like as a businessman, I need to just sort of like say I can't as much as annoying as it must be to go home with the piece and then come back after he's paid the money and then ship it, you know that's the kind of thing that you learn the hard way when I think yeah. when you're, when you're entering into like when you're seeing things as a, as a businessman. In that yeah, regard. totally. No, it's definitely like a game and you have to play it for it. It's yeah. not easy. I'm at sure all. there's been a million times when like, you know, you've shot something and you're like, I kind of got a little bit of a bad vibe from this person. And you're like, is this check going to show up? Is the check yep. going to show up? And then you got to do that game of chasing the guy. I worked with a, you know, a gallery, uh, you know, and I won't go into too many details, but gallerists, man, can sometimes, some of them are fantastic and are, 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 have great intentions. Some gallery owners are just piles of shit that just like that all they want to do is just make money off of artists because they're like, wait, I just have have to, I just have to have a space and then the artists will pay f- to make the art you yeah. know, to the, for the, the canvas and the materials they'll come in they'll, and they'll invite all their friends, you know? So I don't really even need to promote anything. They'll yeah. invite all their friends. They'll show up. Uh, they'll buy a bunch of art. I'll get half of that art, you know, the money for that art. And I've done really nothing for that other yeah, than have a crazy. cool space and, and then get to feel like I'm an art dealer or whatever. And then what happens when they like, you know, can't when they sell some art, but then they, then they're like, then they have to pay their rent. And then they, and then the next show is supposed to come and there's then that the check they're supposed to pay the previous artist happens. And they think, well, I'll just sell the next artist's artwork and and pay that first artist back. And then that artist doesn't do as well. So then all of a sudden you've got artists that haven't gotten paid for artwork that they've sold. And then all of a sudden you've got gallery owners that are like, Ooh, I don't know what to do. And like, you know, recently I had a gallery owner who like had a ton of my artwork and decided to like close his gallery down. And he said like, oh yeah, I, I put the, uh, the gal, the, all of the art from the gallery into a, uh, into a storage container. 
because uh, I couldn't afford the gallery anymore. I was like, why don't you just call the artists and have everybody get their artwork back? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I did. And I was like, I never got called. And he's like, well, I couldn't afford the, the storage container anymore. So that got sold off and now it's all in the wind. Now all of the art is gone. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. So it's like, that's the kind of thing where you're like, how am I supposed to prepare for that? How am I as a businessman supposed to assume that that kind of shenanigans is going to happen? The question is like, is any of that true? Oh you know, did he God. just yeah, say, right. did he just sell all the artwork for like bargain basement prices and then just kept all the money and spent it, whatever? Like, yeah. you know, so, and in that case it was like, you know, he said, he wound up saying, okay, I'll give you, you know, um, 25% of the value of the art of what I was selling it for. Cause normally it's like the gallery gets 50% and the artist gets 50%. He's like, but since I didn't sell it technically and it's just gone, I'll give you, you know, half of that. And I'm like, well, I guess that's better than nothing. And he's like, give me six months. And I'm like, I give him six months, six months passes. Oh my God. Of course he doesn't pay me. So now it's like $6,000 is what he wound up ultimately, which is like a small amount of, it's too small amount of money to like sue him yeah, or like right. go to that kind of a thing. But it's enough amount of, of money to really bother me. And, mm-hmm. to be, and, and also the thought of all of my artwork, it's like just, he had a number of pieces that are just gone. And I'm like, well, who has that artwork? You know, and just so... You know, because obviously, like with with artworks, if you start to feel like a connection to it, like that's like I, yeah. I made that, I birthed that yeah. in the universe, and it's like so. You know, it that is the, crazy. The, the frustrating things they never finish. You know, I'm sure, like you know, in the music world, it's like the gallery owner is like the promoter of a of a right, you know right, for, right. for a show, yeah. and I'm sure that like you know all of the different artists that have been like. I, I want to make music, but now I have to spend, uh, you know, a huge amount of my time chasing promoters and trying to get, you know, right. just what's fair. Yeah. You know? It's fucking crazy, man. Yeah. What a vicious cycle. <laughs> God damn. Um, we've been, uh, I don't want to keep you too long. No I, worries. I'm sorry. I, I, I no, ramble. This is great. I love it. That's why I'm like, we could probably talk forever. I hope the fucking first part of this podcast is there. <laughs> so I'll cry. I guess we always have this audio as backup sure, if sure. It before it comes worse. Um, I want to make sure I can let some people ask questions. I know I cool, posted yeah. it got lost in the thing, but let Let's me pull it. it up and make sure that, uh, I have it updated. Um, yeah. So like I said, I always like ask the community to ask questions and honestly mm-hmm. watch my computer die right now. And it's not loading. <laughs> it's all right. You know, I mean, I'm on top of it. Okay, here we go. Sean sauce. He says, has there ever been a piece that you wanted to do, but it was too edgy and you decided not to do it? What was that idea? That's a great question. Uh, I usually try and run all of my pieces by my wife to see not only, uh, if, if she sort of picks up what I was trying to, uh, you know, convey, like, cause sometimes my, my sort of process is I, I think of an idea of a, of a, of a sentiment or, or a concept. And then I think, okay, how can I boil that down to its most essential elements? How can I get that down to as few words as possible? And so sometimes within doing that, I will not be able to communicate what I wanted to communicate. So right. one time, <clears throat> one time I wrote, I had a piece, <clears throat> excuse me. One time I had a piece that was, um, I was trying to communicate the idea of the guilty pleasure that comes when you see an ex not doing well with their lives, you know, <laughs> and being, cause I thought that's something people can relate to yes. and on also, but also feeling like, you know, I feel bad that I get such pleasure out of seeing you not succeed, you mm-hmm. know, because it's not like you, you recognize that's not a good feeling yeah, to have, but right. at the same time, it's like admitting that and, and sort of, and so I said, <clears throat> 
something I had some post poster that was something to that uh, effect. Uh, and I showed it to my wife and she said, yeah, but you got to think about all of the people that are the exes that aren't doing well in their lives that will see that poster and will say, that makes me feel like shit because that makes me feel like, Oh, all my exes are getting all this joy out of me going through a rough patch in my life or mm. whatever, you know? And I realized like, wow, that's, that's true, you know? And, and so that was an example of where I sort of abandoned that idea because I realized, no, it's actually better. I, I'm not trying to sort of turn anybody into a villain in this scenario. And even though, you know, in our brains, we're always the hero and our exes are always the villains usually, or at least they're the, you know, um, they're just the, they're just the people that, that, uh, yeah, whatever. Right. I get um, you. Yeah. So, for me though, at the same time though, that like realizing that like there's a completely other side of that coin that mm-hmm. needs to be, you know, that that's, that are human beings too. You know, right. I'm, I'm sure that I'm somebody's ex-boyfriend or, you know, that, that they wish, you know, uh, that they, that they're happy. I, you know, uh, don't have six pack abs or something. I don't know, whatever, you know, like, so I, you know, that was, that was an example of something, but I've also yeah. been called out sometimes for pieces that I think that, that people misinterpreted in a way that I thought was unfair. Um, you know, like someone, there was a piece that I had that said, um, I love you because we hate the same stuff. And someone posted like, you know, that's why the Nazis got together because they all hated the Jews together. Is this like, and I'm like, you are taking that way too far. Worse. You know? So, um, so, so I, I, as much as I try to be aware of how will people interpret this, sometimes you also have to let go and say, um, this isn't something that, uh, that people are going to, uh, uh, that if they misinterpret it, it's, it's not on me, you know? Right. And then there was one final piece that I'll bring up that I created that I put in, in uh, Detroit actually, when I was visiting, um, that I don't really post anymore because even though I don't feel bad about the message, it's sort of people just, I got more response that I, that I, that I was like, ah, whatever the message was how much, uh, will, uh, what was it exactly? It was like, uh, how much will be enough for them? Uh, and, or how much will, will, how much will enough be until we make them share essentially saying like that the people of this world that sort of accumulate so much, yeah. not only how much will it be enough for them, but how much will it, will it take before we say, you know what you need to, you need to have less, mm-hmm. you know, we need to, the, the, the people of this world need to have, need yeah. to be able to take some of that because you know, the bottom line is whether it's, you know, income, you know, inequality in terms of like, there shouldn't be one percent of the world that has you know that has all that you know more than 99 percent right. of, of the of the you know uh that got kicked that got backlash a lot of people were like you should never make someone share that sounds like you're forcing like that sounds like oh uh, you know like you're forcing them and, and we should you know people should want to share or something i was just like, it was like okay, do you know how I many can't... people at the top have seven empty right? houses that exactly. are just complete yeah. and have the heat on and shit and it's yeah so for me, it was, it was, I, I didn't think it was that crazy of an idea because to me it was like, no, it's a matter of us saying, you know, collectively as a culture and as a, as a world, we're going to say in, inequality needs to be righted a little bit. Yeah. And obviously we're not talking about, you know, kill all the rich people right, and, right, steal, right. and take all their money. But at some point we need to feel like, you know, giant, giant corporations. Like, you know, you hear about like, uh, Microsoft spending $500 million to help, uh, make affordable housing in Seattle. And you're like, you know what? 
that's really refreshing to hear that finally yeah. a giant corporation is going to say, you know what, maybe we can do something right. to try and, uh, you know, tilt the, the, the sort of the, the balance a little bit closer to being like where we can, you know, all have enough. Mm. I'm going off on a political bent, no. but, yeah, it makes sense. but that was one of those situations where I was like, oh, just one after another of people saying, you know, like we sh- you know, like this sounds like you're, you're, you're getting too political or you're getting, you know, you're getting, you're talking about, you know, yeah. fascism or you're talking about, mm. you know, whatever. But I feel like you have to, if you don't have that, then you're not, you're not doing something right. Like, I feel like just creating a message and they are going to interpret it however they're supposed to. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's how it works. Cause I post stuff and I'll, someone will talk shit on the, like you should have done this. I'm like, mm-hmm. should I have mm-hmm. then get up here and do it yourself? Like yeah. if that's, if that's how you feel, then you do it. You write the message. Totally. You do this. I like, totally. I would love to see you try. It's not yeah. fucking easy. So the, uh, one of the, uh, there's a famous artist that I've since forgotten who said this quote, but the, the idea was that the only valuable criticism is another piece of artwork or another, another thing. Like if you don't like the movie, I mean, if I, and that's not to say that we don't we don't deserve to have opinions about things, right. but there's no real value to our opinions. Our opinions only have value when you use those opinions to create something that you feel fills that vacuum. So if you think the movie sucks, don't just it's not good enough to just think it sucks. Yeah, you have every right to think it sucks, but that opinion has no value until you make a piece of art that doesn't suck. Right. You exactly. know what I mean? So yeah, true. I think that's true with, you know, and in this world of comment sections and, and stuff like there's no value in, in someone saying you should have done this. It's right. like, no, you should have made what you thought I should have done. Exactly. You know, yeah. 100%. God damn. You had a podcast briefly. Yeah. I, I, I played around with something. It was, I, I think know. it was like one of the first ones I've ever listened to. What? I don't know. When was it? Wait, which podcast? It was you. It was like short stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Paper Crown podcast. Paper Crown, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. When did you put that out? Uh, a few years ago. I yeah. Basically, I just got. I wanted to, uh, to a, a new way of expressing myself. I got sort of. I felt a little hampered by uh, just the posters and the and the messages. So I thought I want to be able to write little scenes, and it kind of drew back to my roots in screenwriting. And so I wrote little radio scenes, yeah, little, like you know duets and and things like that. Um, and, uh, it's still available, but yeah, yeah they're really cool. Thanks. I remember listening to it and being like, cause I, I, I think I had absorbed some, I, I wasn't like a fan of any particular podcast. Sure. I understood like the format, which is usually this and you didn't do that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you, you took me into like, it was just like an, an auto, an audio tape, you know, right. I could like listen yeah, yeah. to something and it was just you writing it and people well, that's are so acting cool that you feel that way. Thank yeah. you. And I remember it. I didn't, I don't. You haven't done it in a while, right? Yeah, I haven't done it in a while. I, I I might start doing it again, but it was just it was it was it was a, a process, as you know, obviously, yeah, like with this. Start you know, paying so, the ass. Yeah. But those, those those were really tight. Um, Thanks, thank you. So let's mention your wife because mm-hmm. I feel like you guys are an interesting duo, and she's cool. a, she's yeah. an incredible filmmaker too. Mm-hmm. And what, where was her documentary that she spent some time? Was she in Africa or something? It was actually in uh, Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Um, yeah, she went to uh, she. It was. It's a. I'll, I'll say it's a really fantastic documentary called Welcome Nowhere. Um, she she filmed uh, with a, a group of um, of Roma or more commonly known as gypsies. Mm. Uh, there were a, a group of people that basically had. Um, they've been living on this, on this piece of land that, uh, in Eastern Europe. And they basically were told by the government, like, you know, we were using this land for other stuff. And even though they had been living there sort of illegally, they've been living there for like many, many, many years. Right. So the government took them and put them in these train box cars, like literal just shells, you know, of box cars and said, uh, you know, you, you'll live here, you know, for six months and then we'll find you some new land where you can like have like the houses that you had actually built on this land. Like yeah. you can build new houses or whatever. 
uh, her documentary sort of cuts, you know, starts 10 years after that promise has been made and they're still living there and nothing has been That's done. Crazy. And so, yeah, so she filmed, you know, in that, with that community talking to those people and, and, uh, and hearing their, their struggles. And it's a heartbreaking story, uh, be, not only because of their specific situation, but because of all of the situation for the, for the, uh, for the Roma people. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So she got Ethan Hawke to narrate it. That's crazy. Ethan Hawke's like a big hero of mine. <clears throat> yeah. That's dope. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool that his, his mother's actually really big in the, in the, uh, in that specific, specific, uh, world of the, oh, wow. of, of the Roma people. So she, she found out about the project and she convinced her son to do the, the narration, which is really great. That's nuts. Well, I need to get her on this podcast. Too. Yeah, she's she awesome. just hit me up so she started doing some freelance stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, we just had a baby, so you know she's she was working for many years uh, in the um, making like uh, Blu-ray special features and promos spots and stuff like that for movies, um, and now she's she's uh, she's gone. You know, it's just like that you know, requires so much of you in terms of like yeah. you know. So now that we have a kid, she's trying to do something that requires a little bit less, right? Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, um, it's, it's, it's been a wild ride having a kid. He's, he just, <coughs> I can't, I can only imagine. <laughs> I just, I, everyone that I know that's been having ch- children lately, I've like, I just did a little bit of babysitting the other day, mm-hmm. which was tight. Uh, my friend had a kid and she was just working late till like five in the morning. So we just watched the kid wow. until then. And I mean, I mean, it was basically Lauren watching the kid, but I was there and I, it was like impossible to sleep. Like I would fall asleep and then just be like why don't I hear anything or what is that noise or what, you know what I mean? It it was terrifying. I went up like 18 times. She was so mad at me, like for waking her up so much. She's like, it's not, trust me, this isn't a thing. Like I did the, the first, like I would say at least three months of my child's like life. I just spent staring at him like some sort of creepy character in a horror movie, just staring down while he slept, just being like, is he breathing? Right. Shake him, shake him, make sure he's breathing. You know, it's terrifying. Um, Yeah, for sure. Well, especially because they just, they're so fragile. I know. know? That's what I'm saying. Like we had to hold the neck and I'm mm -hmm. just like, fuck, I'm, they're I'm like they're like little hairless birds or something and you just think like oh you know and and it's 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 terrifying and uh and and you just realize sort of how much you take your you know th- things like the ability to stub your toe and and walk it off for granted you know and just the idea yeah. that like these creatures like they're, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're constantly at risk, you know? It's so fucking crazy. Well, congratulations. That's, Thank you. That's incredible. Thank you. Um, I, it's funny. Cause you know, a lot of people have asked me like, what's the difference between your first book and your second book? Cause I have, have two books and my se- second one just came out. And my first book I always think is kind of like the ideas and notions of a guy in his twenties mm. um, and the messages that he feels he needs to get out to the world and the messages that he wants to communicate. And this book is sort of a, a collection of stuff now that I'm in my thirties. That's like, these are the messages that I've, I've learned after years. It's like, you know, for, to some degree there's like the, the don't give up idea still has a lot of value to me, but I think it's important to have some nuance with that where you could say, okay, it's not just about don't give up because I think especially in LA, people can get like caught up in this, like, I can't pivot to anything else because that's giving up. That's quitting. Right. And sometimes it's like, you can realize I'm chasing the wrong destiny. I'm, I'm, this is not actually what I'm, what I feel that like you can, you can get like an acting job and realize like, Oh, this kind of sucks. Yeah. I don't really like this. Right. You know, like, I mean, you know, you, you think to yourself like, about all the musicians that, that like get the success they want and then like realize they're miserable or whatever, you know? And so, you know, for me, I think like that's, you can even experience that, you know, on a smaller scale. So, 
you know, for me, I think it's important to not just say, don't give up. It's also a matter of, of like, find out why you're chasing this Mm. and figure out if there's another way of getting what you want. Like for me, not to say that I've completely given up on the idea of screenwriting, but for me, what I really wanted was to reach people and to and to feel a connection. And I was trying to do that with screenwriting, and I realized I can kind of do this in a, in a more immediate way by literally just putting a piece of, of, of artwork into their lives. Yeah. Instead of inviting them to come into the movie theater and see right. my you know, artwork, I'm bringing the movie theater to them, essentially, and saying, like, hey, you just walked by this piece of art. This is for you. That, you know, thank yeah, you for incredible. checking it out. I hope you get something from it. And so I feel like more people can learn um, from that, hopefully, and say, you know, wow. So what I, you know, I came out here thinking that I wanted to be an actor, but what I really wanted to do was just feel like I'm expressing myself and and, and living amongst different things. And so, and, and, and is there another way of doing that where right. I'm not forced to do it by this sort of rigid structure I've set up in my own mind? You yeah. Know? So I think that's that's what this second book is about, is finding the nuance within that. And I think then, you know, if I ever do a third book or if anybody ever wants to publish a third book, uh, who knows, um, it'll probably be like the 40s, you know. And, and, yeah. and within that, I think fatherhood will probably be a big, big part of it, you know. And totally. I think my artwork from now on is probably going to be pretty pretty well informed by these are the messages that I, you know, sort of... I'm, I'm sort of looking at my art as, as, a, as somewhat of a legacy for, for, you know, the yeah. next, the next one. And, you know, I mentioned my middle name is Morley. And so, uh, my son's middle name is Morley as well. That's dope. And so, you know, who knows if, uh, he'll, you know, pick up the, uh, that's reins crazy. And, and, and see what, you know, he has to say to the world. Wow. That's insane. What if he becomes like a poster policeman where he like just goes around tears down posters and he just hates that would be that would be awful but i think at the same time i think uh you know if i can inspire passion in any way shape or form you know yeah no that's gonna be awesome it's 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 such a time piece you know what i mean like yeah to clearly just like how you just said you're just bookmarking points in your life and being able to show it off i think that's so cool thanks um shit this was a good podcast man Thanks. There, I feel bad. We only answered one person's Don't worry question. About it. There, it's it's all good. There's so many more, but you, I look over them and I can tell we've already answered them suitably okay, cool, throughout the thing. Cool. It always happens. I just never get a chance to read them. Before. Should you just read more names so that they can feel like they're heard? It was Nikos, Dave. They cool. know. Okay, cool. They know. They're the homies. <laughs> they're always like, there's always some people that always ask questions. Okay. They're, they're just always getting them. So I just, I like I said, I put it in the group and sometimes I'll post and I'll get like 50 comments and then sometimes I'll post it and it'll get like one just because it gets buried in like mm. the feed, but new website, new website. We're working on it, trying to find new ways to make nice. this happen, you know? So yeah. Um, if people got this far into the podcast and listen mm-hmm. to it, yeah. I want them to go. This is what I always tell them to do. Go to your Instagram. Okay. And go to the last most recent post, whatever it is at the time they're listening to this and tag me at Ben reverse world. So just if you don't know my Instagram tag me and then put your hashtag, whatever hashtag you choose so that we both know that they listen to this podcast like all the way through. Cause only they have to listen to it to know whatever hashtag you're right. about to say. So I say the hashtag, you say the hashtag, say whatever, whatever you want. Sometimes oh, wow. they can be anything you want, but don't put like morally because like I'm so many people probably <laughs> right. said that. Sure. Um, let's go with, uh, hashtag grande grande coffee. Right. Oh, okay. All or right. Are you thinking like, uh, Ariana Ariana grande? Grande. yeah, I don't no, know why no, I thought maybe that. Maybe we should go with hashtag. No, uh, you can do grande. Okay. That's fine. But we do, we're talking grande. Yeah. Know, coffee. Grande coffee. Cool. Not grande. Yeah, it's really, not, not Ariana. Which is grande. ironic because he doesn't drink coffee. So that's nice. That's true. I don't drink coffee. Yeah. Straight <laughs> um, edge. <laughs> I, uh, 
Yeah, that was great, man. Is there, so buying the books, how do people do that? You can buy the book either by just going to morleybook.com and that'll have a link or you can get it on Amazon or you can get it in cool bookstores. You know, it's always, it's always great. If you can go to a, a local bookstore, you know, um, an independent bookstore, that's always awesome. You Is know? there like a list of the stores somewhere? Um, there's not, I just mean like if you, wherever you are, instead of going to Barnes and Noble, oh, right. you can go to, you know, your, whatever bookstore is, is not, uh, a Barnes and Noble yeah, basically exactly. or, or, you know, Amazon books or whatever. Um, and if they don't carry it, they, you know, they most, can. most bookstores, you know, should, but if they don't, they can also order it for you right. uh, and that way you can support a local business. That's and, awesome. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want people to know? Jeez be kind to each other. That's, that's the main, that's the, that's the, the one, you know, thing I always try to write whenever I'm, you know, uh, signing something is I always just say, stay kind, you know, because to me, I think, you know, kindness is, is the most important, uh, the most important quality that's the, that's, that's valued the least. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's totally. more important than, uh, than almost anything else. So right. kindness, kindness that's and perfect. courage. I love it. Um, all right, cool. How do you want to end this? I don't know. High five or something. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Ba, 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 ba. That was it for episode 63 with Morley. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Make sure to follow Morley on Instagram at official underscore Morley so you can start fucking with what he's doing. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, YouTube, wherever you're listening to this shit um, so people know that we're tight as fuck. We appreciate any feedback that you guys give us. Again, if you love this podcast and you love the private community, pop over to our merch store and grab some gear. We really appreciate that shit. Shop bwnc.com. And if you want a discount code, we give codes out to our Patreon supporters along with other exclusive offers. So patreon.com slash cream. Join the Patreon army. Speaking of our Patreon supporters, shout out to our top tier supporters right now, aka our OU Rich producers of the show, Aisha and Reed, and the OU Rich Rich producer, my fucking boy, Craig. Y'all are lit forever. We appreciate you. Subscribe to Black No Cream on every platform of your choosing. New episodes every single Wednesday and Sunday. I will see you next week, you bitch!